Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. American Giant makes the durable, comfortable spring closet staples you need for work, the gym, and even happy hour. Made in America. Designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20. again fellow basement dwellers nerds of all kind welcome back to another edition another action-packed loaded episode of bandwagon nerds i just realized talking with tunny and ray off air this is episode 180 fellas you gotta start Fuck you, Undertaker. Your streak is nothing compared to BWN's. I mean, here we are, 180 straight weeks without interruption. Raw, we're coming after you next. So anyway, but uh, yeah, episode 180. I mean, guys, we got to start thinking about episode 200, as remarkable as that might seem. I think the uh, the impressive thing is 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 the consecutiveness because there's there's you know there's attitude of aggression which is well into the three hundreds. There's Greg DeMarco and Patrick O'Dowd, the Greg DeMarco show, which is like ten years podcasting. There's DWI, which is getting close to four hundred. So I think the the fact that this has been a hundred and eighty consecutive weeks that to me is is the real uh, thing to applaud. The, the, yeah, Eric Bischoff, put this, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah. The consecutive, yeah, well, the consecutive we weeks. Is, 182 and don't make the 183. You're in trouble, right. right? The consecutive weeks part is the important thing. The content, yeah, you know, hit or miss. No, just kidding. <laughs> anyway, though, yeah, 180 episodes, man. We're gonna start thinking about 200 soon. But we got a big show here today. We are going to wrap up. We're gonna kick things off wrapping up with the Mandalorian season or episode 24. Also known as season three, episode eight, the season finale for season three of the Mandalorian. We're going to talk about it. I have a feeling there's going to be some differing opinions, even though Mr. O'Dowd is not here. He and I have kind of discussed our thoughts on it. Surprising Tony and Ray, Patrick and I are pretty much in agreement on this one. And I think you guys might be the outliers, but let me, uh, you've heard them. Of course, let's introduce everybody to our esteemed panel today. 
coming back on. He's been here for at least 150 or 60 of the 180 episodes. The one and only live studio audience, Mr. Chairshot himself, the one and only PC Tunney. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Um, I know we just recorded the first part of Chapter 6 for the Big Four, and uh, it was a rare me not drinking podcast because I didn't want to be completely sloppy here, but I am drinking now, so hopefully by the end of the show, be a little bit more used to the Tony that you're used to hearing. I will say you were in fine form on the big four. I mean, you know, you just, your eyes didn't cross like Zeus's. So that was, you know, always encouraging. Or Shawn Michaels. Or Shawn Michaels. That's right. What does Zeus and Shawn Michaels have in common? One lost their smile and one just lost it, I guess. So anyway, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Welcoming back to the show two weeks in a row. He's not out of the hospital this week, though. He just rolled out of bed from a uh, nice long nap. The one and only the Reverend Ray Cash. I'm still healing. Um. Two things. One, a, a drunk Tony is a Tony that I don't want to know. I, should I call you by your shoot name today? I'm I, I'm a non-drunk Tony because, like, yeah, a non-drunk Tony, a sober Tony is terrifying. So, like, I should call you shoot names today because I don't know who you are. I don't know this man. Who Secondly, what have you done with our friend? Right. Sec, I'm joking. I'm joking. Hey, if if anybody needs any help, call AA. There, are, you got help. Secondly, uh, I'm. Try to put you Don't on drink knees, and drive, like, drink a podcast. Safer. In some ways. Some ways is that. Sort of. Uh, secondly, I'm trying to put you on your knees like my boy Tank Davis. Just want you to know that. Wow. I, why, what do I have to do with Ryan Garcia or whatever the fuck the guy's name is? I'm disappointed. I gotta say. Ryan Garcia did you see the pep talk? Did, did you see the pep talk that Conor McGregor gave him afterwards? No, but I heard about it and... I mean, but it, it, it tracks, right? Because Connor, Connor's a loser, so of course he wants to work with losers oh. himself. Wow. Ray going all in. All in. I mean, that was a hell of a body shot. Ray wants to do three-man weave this week. Yeah, that, come on. We, we're overdue. We're, especially with how good the playoffs have been. All right. Overdue. Oh, for baseball and, or baseball, as, basketball and hockey. As and Ray hockey, Cash yes. would say, As Ray Cash would say, bet. Ray, before we get to Mandalorian, you, uh, I told you I'd give you a little bit of a forum. And I think, you know, yes. right at the beginning is as good a time as any because Tony and I could give two shits about this, but you're obviously excited about oh, I, you know, Power I, off, framing, the air, man. off the air, I have no problem burying it. You could have just nicely kicked it to I'm him. You had like, framing. The, like the huge backhand that came in like Tony and I don't give two shits, but Ray, let's make time for you to talk about something. We're going to, like, we're going to, you care about it. You care about it. That's fine. But we, we Ray, don't care. Ray, so, we're going to bitch slap you after this is over. But you want to talk about Power Rangers. Uh, it's something you're passionate about. I said I would give you a little bit of uh, airtime before Thank we you. jump into Mandalorian. What's going on with the Power Rangers? Is it special or something? Yeah. Well, first of all, most apologies to Patrick because I know he's losing his shit right now because we changed format for just a second. Just I won't just, be long. I promise. Brief. It's just it's very brief. This was the 30 year anniversary of the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And so they had a special on Netflix that essentially brought back the old OGs and um, Trini, uh, Trini, uh, Toy Train's uh, actual character, Trini, died shortly after she uh, left the Power Rangers. So on this episode, on this special on Netflix, they had her daughter in the world take over as a Yellow Ranger. Right. Um, I just want to touch on it real fast because Power Rangers even though you guys aren't in it, Dave, you aged out. I, I'm of too it. old. I'm too old. Call it, you, can, you can say what it is, Ray. I'm too old. I'm I ain't going to call it. I mean, I see, unlike, unlike you two, I have tact. I'll be a dick okay. to myself. How about that? 
<laughs> Tony was around for it. It was still his generation, but he wasn't into it, which is fine. But it is the tail end of it, though, you know. Sure, but you still were old enough to pay attention to it, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but I, it, you did. And again, fine. Um, but it's one of those institutional um, pop culture things. It's it's lasted long enough. It's had enough iterations to where it's become its own little populace of pop culture. So the fact that it hit 30 years is a big deal. They had a very, very touching tribute to uh, Toy Train and, and of course, the legend Jason David Frank towards the end. Um, it was fun. wasn't good, but I didn't expect it to be. Um, my boys are out of shape. Only one in shape, understandably and makes sense, is the homie Walt, um, Zach, the Black Ranger, Walter Mangle Jones, because like, he was the only one who actually probably really knew uh, fucking karate besides Jason David Frank. Um, I will say, from a personal standpoint, the massive disappointment I have in my heart that if this was 30 years, and I know this was big for David Yost, the guy that played Billy, because he was bullied horrifically back in the day um, with horrible homophobic uh, comments and the cast. And they were also non-union, too, so they were treated like shit back in the day. Um, so this was big for him to finally get his chance to come back and be Billy because he lasted in that character longer than any of the other guys. But I'm disappointed that Amy Joe Johnson, the Pink Ranger, Austin St. John, the Red Ranger, like, and even JDF himself, Tommy. I'm disappointed that either those three didn't join up with this or that David Yost and Walter Jones chose to do it. Because it just didn't feel right without the OGs when it was supposed to be kind of a love letter and a thank you to the OGs. Nonetheless, it was fun. It was mindless. It was like 80 minutes. You ain't Your life wouldn't change. But I wanted to give them a big up because uh, 30 years, man, it's hard to make 30 years in this, in, in this industry with as much change and still be relevant. And the Power Rangers are still relevant. So, yeah, go, go Power Rangers. Awesome. And we are past like that five minute opening part, Tony. See how that worked perfectly. And, and, you know, you know, we're, I can, I can, I can lobiate some more if you want. No, no, that's all right. We, we, I can go to the high 20. We, (laughs) I'm a person. We can go to the 20. No, in all seriousness, it was a good thing to bring it in and mention it. It is a very important part of pop culture and a big part, a part of a lot of the things we cover. And, and Ray, you being a true, like, you know, uh, knowledgeable fan and giving us your opinion and, and recap of it was a very good addition to the show. Um, another good addition to the show is heading on over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and picking yourself up a chair shot t-shirt. Plenty of great sayings, plenty of great designs, get it in soft style for this summer tank tops in soft style. All right. So you got your nibbles covered, you got your guns out and it's in soft style prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot. I guess the new slogan there is we got your nipples covered when we come back or Mandalorian season finale. <laughs> Wait, we're taking a commercial break already. We're not even, we're, yeah. we, we got it. We got no, it. Let's get, get it out of the way. Watch, watch how I do this. All right. This is your boy, Kenny killer telling you to make sure you check out the bringing you breaking news. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
buy rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, thechairshot.com. Thank you, Tony. I mean, that, that worked out better than me doing it. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I like your in, intro music. Well, it's Mandalorian. I, listen, it's not about better there, Dave. As many productions as we've done uh, on the back end, it's about less time. That's right. It's less, less time for me in post-production. Where's this file? I got it. I got it. I, Patrick, if you're listening, remind me somehow that intro that we used to do where bandwagon nerds is recorded in front of a live studio audience that you did. I don't know what happened to that file. I've lost it. The, my computer ate it or something. Literally, I've been looking for it for weeks. I'm like, where the fuck is this thing? Not in the recycle bin, not here. So, Pat, if you're listening, I'm reminding you to remind me. Send me that, please, so I can add it back in. It's like something's missing from the just broadcast. Record just record him saying it next week. That's true. We could do that as well. You could do it live, Pat. There you go. When you come back. Wow. Patrick O'Dowd will wow. be back next week. Hopefully, he... Ray, when did you get sound? Yeah, when did you get the soundboard, Ray? That's awesome, man. That's nice. What, what do you think Patrick hates more? Us, us playing the, the fake dueling banjos or one of us playing the fake mandolin? Probably the banjos. Well, There's some special hate for you guys in the banjos that he really yeah, so. that he really harbors for you guys. All right. Pat will be back next week. I'm sure we will get his thoughts on a lot of things, including the Mandalorian. But final episode. I will say this. I know Patrick and I were disappointed in it, and I will tell you guys kind of why. The reasons are, and and this is our fault possibly, because Tony, you and I, and then Ray last week, we came up with all these contingencies and all these cool things that could happen, and all these epic moments, and none of them happened, which was let down number one. The other part is, I know Patrick and I were both like, this is too happy of a fucking ending for this show everything's everything's very happy it's peaches and cream grogu's now din grogu they're kicking it on the porch in wyoming somewhere right now grilling up some stuff everything's great the mandalorians are back bo katan's in charge we got the new republic is involved everything's seen moff gideon's dead finally we think i think it's pretty certain grogu kind of force connected with the mythosaur that's about all you can say I'm not saying it's a bad episode. I thought it was a good episode. I, I love Din Jaren was the focal point again. All these people bitching about Din's not the focal point. He's the focal point of this episode in a lot of ways because he kicks ass and then some. Bo-Katan, the Mandalorians are back. There's some epic battles. It's epic. I thought Axe was the traitor for a few minutes there. It dawned on me when he kicked off everybody from the ship right before it crashed. I thought, is Axe a traitor? Um, but... 
Yeah, I'll turn it over, Tony. I'll turn it over to you first. Your thoughts on this we, episode? Were you were you disappointed? Or are you okay with this? No, I think we just we just explored. We really explored all the possibilities, and a lot of them were a little. I wouldn't say far fetched, but approaching it. Um, and to be honest with you, I I like what happened. I I feel like I almost kind of was giving us that, as in we were talking about what is it going to take to save them, right? And we we talked about a Jedi and we talked about Ahsoka. We talked about Luke. We talked about all these different things. But I do remember saying, what if we get to see more of Grogu's Jedi powers? And that's exactly what we got to see. And at the end of the day, that's what not only helps them defeat the Praetorian Guard, Gideon, who, uh, who's got to be dead now. He got enveloped by the flames without the armor on his face. And he's got to be gone. And, you know, it, it ended that season the se- the season the season has really been encompassing for the most part storyline wise it resets the man it resets din jarn and din grogu back to being bounty hunters and telling their own separate stories and coming here and coming helping there and i think more importantly for me it leaves it so open for mandalore to tell that story whether you want to have it be its own series or that could be uh, a movie trilogy on its own as well um, uh, maybe they're going to do something with that in animation. Uh, but that's definitely a story that's, that's boy, I think very much worth exploring the, the re taking over and colonization of, of Mandalore and the Mandalorians, because we're going to go back to what we, it's going to go back to being a Western again. I think, you know, you talk about how they set it up and like you guys say, you even, you even, you even, uh, jokingly said in Wyoming, but I think the character development's great. I think it's really interesting that the dark saber was destroyed. Oh yeah, there but is. all in all, really, really fine ending. And I think the way they've done it now for three seasons is that penultimate episode has really been the one that's kind of gotten you to where you wanted to be, and they just clean it up nicely at the end. So they didn't title chapter twenty four as well. So that I found interesting. No, they did. They called it the return. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah. Maybe they didn't want to give it away until you watched it or something. I, no, it was, was at the, it, it was at the beginning. They called it the was return. It? Yeah, I, when I looked at it, I was like the return. It wasn't on the yeah, it wasn't on like the where you chose the episode. Probably not. Lot. But once you got into the episode, they said it. Um, you know, yeah. And we see the mythosaur at the end. Right, Grogu does force connect with the mythosaur at the end, so there is that, and we know he's there. Uh, there's. You know, you raise you raise some good stuff. I mean, there's some great moments. The dark saber getting destroyed is is one of those moments that uh, is pretty iconic in the grand scheme of things. And, and look, I think you know maybe maybe the end of season two kind of ruined this a little bit for some of us because you can't get much more of an epic end than Luke Skywalker showing up unexpectedly, mowing down a bunch of uh, death troopers. And and you know you weren't. I thought maybe we'd get something like that. And we did. It's funny because one of the things we mentioned that we kind of just mentioned and let fly away, and we talked about Grogu's time away from with with Luke in between these seasons. And this is this season. The end was to all about Grogu, all about him going. Okay, he might be the most powerful Mandalorian ever because he's almost a freaking Jedi, by the way. You know, and on top of that, he is whatever species he is between him and Yoda that acquire it infinitesimal amount of information and uh ways to live and properly harmonize with the universe and everything that's with them 
We'll get Ray's opinion on this in a moment. I know he's doing something with virtual reality. Hopefully he comes out of his virtual world. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, like, yeah, Grogu's force powers, you get to see that in, in full display because he, he does save the, uh, the, he does save Din and Bo from that explosion that consumes Moff Gideon. It's all Grogu who does that. I want to ask you this. There's a prevalent rumor going around and they kind of hint to this a little bit in the episode where they talk about Grogu's parents and Din's like, I don't think they're alive anymore. There is a prevailing rumor on the internet that Grogu's parents could be Yoda and Yaddle from, you know, earlier stuff. I mean, I'm like trying to think and match up the timelines and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that could be possible. I mean, you know, we don't see any more. There's hardly any more of these Yoda-like species that we've seen in the entirety, entire thing. They don't really talk about where the species resides. You know, it, it raises some concerns. Yoda Jedi Master has a intimate relationship with somebody else of his species, and they have a child. I mean, that would explain a lot about Grogu. I don't know if you're how familiar you are with uh, Yoda, and yeah, obviously Yoda, but Yaddle's a little different story. But what do you think of that? I mean, they kind of didn't just kind of... They kind of dangle that out there a little bit, don't they? Talking about his parents. You know, it's interesting because that's still one of the biggest mysteries in the entire, you know, Star Wars universe. Where did he come is, from? We don't even know what their species is called. Right. Yo, you know what I mean? Yo, Denny. Yo, Dennyan. Yo, Dennyan. Yo, yo, Denny. And um, do you think it's something that people just don't want to explore? Like, I think no. Oh, there's, there's like a high percentage chance that whoever tries to tell that story, since we don't know anything about it, just a lot of people won't accept it. I think this is one of those things that's le better left a mystery and it it's better for the rest of the universe. In my opinion. Now, if you get someone in to come in and tell the story, right. Or tell me what the story is supposed to do and how you can execute that. Go for it. But I, you might be able to explore Grogu's history, but I don't know how deep we get into the history of this particular species. I could be way off here, but it just seems like it's a really good mystery to keep as far as storytelling goes. Yeah, there, there's stuff they could be holding back and, and saying, hey, we got this in our back pocket to tell this story at some point in time, maybe in season four. I would not be surprised if they dabble with that in season four a little bit. We do know for sure there will be a season four. That's been confirmed. No idea when it's going to come out. Uh, Pedro Pascal, a very busy man, and is on fire on a lot of different projects. I I thought shooting was supposed to begin in like August or something hope, like that. I hope so. That's what I heard early, like late summer, early fall. I, I thought I, I'm almost hundred percent certain I seen that somewhere. Right. And, and like you and I talked two episodes ago where we talked about the rise of Mandalore, the return of Mandalore. Mandalore is resurgent right now. The Mandalorians have. Do you think that story continues to be told or do oh, you yeah. think they go back to the. No, because I think I think you still in, in the Mandalorian. Do you think they continue with Bo-Katan and that whole coloniz colon recolonizing Mandalore, or do you think they go back to separate? Because I don't think that that's a part of the story anymore. It can be off to the side, but I think they go back to more of the adventures of of Din, Jaren, and Grogu. I absolutely agree with that. I think there will be some crossover at some point in time because they've got to they've got to tie it in. And I think you know the big thing that we've talked about is what the Mandalorians have resumed retaking control of their planet. What happens to them? Because like we said, we know they're not in the sequel trilogy. Uh, so something happens because they would have been there at the battle of, uh, of Exegol at the end of that, where Lando shows up with all those people. Where are they? Where are all the Mandalorians? Where's Ahsoka? 
you know, where's all this stuff happening? We got to get these tie-ins. They've tied in just about everybody from Rebels is appearing now in Ahsoka. Sabine Wren is in there. We're assuming Ezra Bridger's in there. Thrawn never shows up in this in this show as much as a lot of us wanted. So they've left that kind of out there. So, yeah, at the end of the whole thing, you know, Mandalore ha- is is resurgent. Bo-Katan's in charge. Din and Grogu are off going to do their own adventures and do some stuff. The Darksaber is no more, which raises some questions as to doesn't somebody have to be wielding the Darksaber to rule the Mandalorians? I don't know. But Ray is back from his virtual reality place in, in time where he was. Ray, let's get your thoughts. This last episode of Mandalorian, were you disappointed? Were you fine with it? Where do you think we're going with this whole thing? Do you think Yoda and Yaddle could be Grogu's parents? You know, we threw that out there while you were not on headset. So just to mess with you. Um, what are your thoughts, man? Do you have kids? I do. Um, ultimately, I'm happy with it because, just because it was a good episode. Um, I am slightly disappointed that something bigger didn't happen. But also, I think we're looking at it wrong. We're looking at it in terms of big and in terms of like Luke returning or something like that. Yeah, sure. But in the Mandoverse, which is kind of the verse outside of the regular Star Wars canon, Moff Gideon was the biggest bad we had. And Moff Gideon is dead. Yep. So that's about as big as it gets. Right. Also, uh, I mean, the biggest name dropped last you know, episode that and that could be the you know, future t- storytelling of the return. Doesn't happen and doesn't matter until he shows up. I'm just saying. Right. I'm, I'm saying until now, you, you could, like, you could fucking say Bill's above. It, he's not there yet. Well, we know Thrawn's not showing until Ahsoka now. Right. So th- to this point, the biggest bad we had is dead. Right. And um, Grogu finally showed them Jedi, them Jedi tricks, which is dope because um, I don't know if you guys had the same feeling. Because clearly I wasn't able to hear what the fuck you were saying, thanks to my children. Sorry, Ray. Uh, it was great stuff. You you would be. I bet it was. You would be amazed by it. how fantastic it was. I believe yeah, it. Pretty much made um, every point you're making right now. <laughs> um, when when uh, Grogu got stuck in there with the Praetorian guards, my first thought was Grogu about to fuck them up. Yep. <laughs> that was my first thought. He doesn't at first. Um, he does it because he's he seems to have a bit of a confidence problem uh, as far as his use of the force, but that gets remedied by the end. I don't think it's confidence. I think he's a pacifist. I don't think he wants yeah, to fight. I, right. I agree with Ray more. Yeah, okay. I don't think it's confidence right. because every time he's had to look at the fight with the foundling, the, the training with the foundling, he was like, I really got to do this? And it took some times and finally then Jerome was like, bro, do it. Like I bet, Din's like whoop that ass, whoop that ass. Um, I will say though, two two takeaways from me from the whole thing. Well, let me ask you a question about the Bo-Katan thing real fast, and I know we got to move on because it's been way too long on this. I'm sorry. No, no, um, we're good. We're good, man. I don't think the dark saber matters anymore because Bo-Katan did something that the dark saber couldn't do. She brought all the warring factions together. So that's more that's bigger than the dark saber in my opinion on top of the fact that she was the last person to wield the dark saber so that's that but my two my two takeaways from this are um number one um this the show's about the, the show's called the Mandalorian we we've always looked at it as Din Djarin, but 
the show is called The Mandalorian for a reason. It could be about any Mandalorian, right? Then was the main one. We the knew. Mandalorian as a plural, right? Exactly, right? Um, uh, but also, I think, I think this may be the last Mandalorian season for a while until we get to what we're getting, because this episode it teased Ahsoka and and, and Grand Admiral Thrawn, the Rangers of the New Republic. Essentially, your boy Din Djarin is like Ranger Jace, right? At the end of it. Right. So all of these other shows, because we know we're getting the big made-for-TV movie that's going to be, whatever, that's going to put all this shit together. Men don't, know how, don't have much to do right now. He's kind of sewed up all of his, even, um, I, I know his name, Carl Weathers' character of uh, 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 Space Apollo Creed. Even, even him and his group. Reeves or something. Yeah, Keep going, guys. I'll look at it. He's big deal, right? Big deal, right? Um, right. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I just think at this point now, I think Dave Filoni and John Favreau were like, put him on ice until we get this sucker shit going. That's what it feels like to me because again, I, I, I appreciate the fact that. Girl, by the way, the armorer, the armor is sexy as hell. The way she kind of moves and be sauntering. Sorry, random, random she's thought. Got a dark, she got a dark past. That's why she will. But that dark past, can, she can get a dark entrance if you know what I mean. Um, lady in the street, but a freaking the <laughs> No, but um, it was really cool that they finally allowed Grogu to kind of do his thing, and he finally adopted him formally, and all this stuff. Right? All that's cool. All that's beautiful, and all. But ultimately, grief carga. I feel grief, like grief carga is his name. Right? Thank you. There you I go. I feel like this is this is. I feel like this is false hope. This this feels like the same way I felt at the end of Ant Man and Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania before the post credit scenes when Scott's like everything's good. Wait, is it? Because everything good now until your boy Thrawn come and like destroy everything and change everything. And because think about it, where's Boba Fett and where's Fennec Shand? We didn't see them. I figured we were going to see them this season. There's a lot of other things that that movie is going to kind of tie up in a nice little bow. So it's easier, I think, from a storyline perspective to say, we can put them on ice until we need them. Right? We don't need Din Djarin. We don't need Din Grogu. We don't need none of the Mandalorians right now. Put them on ice. Let's give Ahsoka all the all the focus. And then when Ahsoka needs the help, because Ahsoka, the, the real one, would be for Thrawn, right? Then we could bring all the extra people in and we can make it Avengers Endgame in space. Basically, that's what it's going to be because you're going to get Ahsoka. You're going to get, I mean, who's got a bigger beef with Thrawn than Ahsoka? Ezra, probably. You know, that's, that's, but we know that they're both back. You know, they disappeared on Force Whales at the end, end of Rebels and now they're both back. And well, yeah, I mean, they may put everything kind of like, you know, let's establish all this other stuff. Let's establish Ahsoka. Let's establish the live action rebels characters that we want to establish. Let's get all that set. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking, are we going to get any sort of cross? Do we see Din Djarin and Grogu at all in Ahsoka? Cause I'm thinking possibly. Yeah. At some I point. think you're more likely to see Boba Fett. Wouldn't you? I think we'll see Boba. Cause Boba Fett's clearly not done. Can I ask you guys something before we go on with, we kind of got outside of 
you know, the Mandalorian and, and this episode in particular, which is fine because it's, it is all star Wars and it's so fun to talk about, to see how we can set and up. All, and connect it's all, all branching things. out. I mean, it, I know you joke Did about you that, guys, but it's all, yeah, no, but it's, it, yeah, it holds true in the conversation we're having right now is here's, here's just a more like a dialed in more specific thing as part of the end of the episode. Did you guys think that we were going to get Grogu speaking? Yeah. Um, and, or, and, and not adopted I, I was like oh and then they did it the different way so that's the card that i that i think it's cool that they they held on to because at some point um you know he's gonna he's gonna start talking well at some point i i i, I think it's dope i think it was more important for that official we know he's a, we know din has accepted grogu as his emotionally but he never he adopts took, him he adopts him right he exactly well, he, he officially took, did yeah took, yeah he never took the plate and took him in formally, right? And think about it. Grogu chose him when Luke gave him the ultimatum. Grogu chose Din Djarin, right? And that's why Din had been, keep, they keep been thinking of him as, yeah, this is, I'll take care of him, but this is my foundling, not my child. You know, so this was him formally taking him in. And I appreciate the fact that not only did um, Bo-Katan help this she may have brought all the Warren factions together, but you could argue it was Grogu that changed their hearts because Din Djarin did what, did what he had to do. But think about it. Grogu, they, all of these Mandalorians, they, they are secretive. They are uh, a group of people that only, that only rest, mess with their own. They don't tell see, And they have accepted Grogu from day one because they've seen not only the love that Din has for him, but the things Grogu been able to do. Think about it. Grogu, Grogu is an official I, I, apprentice without having any armor. Right. I think he 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 plays a a, a meaningful yet not completely one hundred percent the biggest role in in getting Mandalorians back together, and that's Bo-Katan because that's the story that is going to continue to be told once they get back to that. And we talked about it last week with him in the IG Yes Nobot when um, don't call me Oscar Isaac and and Big Pass. We're fighting, <laughs> and he broke him up. Remember, Bo was like, "They got to do it," and he broke him up and stopped it. So, yeah, Grogu out here. I'm sorry, Din Grogu out here just making making hearts cry. And at the end of it, with when Mando was sitting watching his kid, it was oh beautiful. There's I'm reading something that uh, happened in the last 24 hours asking Pedro Pascal whether he's going to return for the Mandalorian. The actor kept things quiet when speaking with Radio Times. It's a mystery. He told the outlet, there's such preciousness around even saying that I'm signed up for season four if it's already written. So, yeah, he's going to be back, but they're going to keep it close to the vest. Ray, I wanted to ask you one last thing. You know, you talked about we talked about Din officially adopting Grogu as his child. While you were out of the room there, I was telling Tunny, I don't know if it matters or not because Din's daddy now. But there is a rumor going around on the Internet uh, around Star Wars fans that. Grogu might be the child of Yoda and Yaddle. What do you think? I, I mean, d- does it matter? Or what do you think about that? Is that a story you care about? Or what do you think? I don't think I care about it because I don't think his lineage is important. Very clearly, he's, a, he's one of, of those elk of people. I don't know what the species people are, that yeah, right. the species are. But very clearly, he's he's one of those. He's also very clearly the last of a species, unless there's a planet in the galaxy hidden somewhere with a I, bunch of them hiding. Ray, right? I called them. The species name is Yodenians. I like it. I like it. That's what, that's what I'm going to call them. 
You got to think, definitely think baby Yoda for a season <laughs> that, and a half. That's bro. a title to the episode, Tony. Yodanians. The, oh, the, the, the title of the episode should be Bandwagon Nerds. I'll take the field. <laughs> <laughs> we called my boy baby Yoda for a season and a half, right? Sure. I, so I, I ain't mad at it. Um, I think it could be cool backstory. But I think the best backstory we've got for Grogu that was necessary was when Ahmad Best played the the Jedi trying to get him out of what was it order what's it called order 66 order 66 when he was there and he saw that shit and they got him out of there that was more important than who his mom and daddy are because we know who his real daddy is it's it's no different than Yondu and he may have been your father but he wasn't your daddy good call good call with our guardians of the galaxy next next week when Patrick returns I think we're going to do the uh guardians of the galaxy Deadpool Who's going to die in Guardians? It's more like, well, shit, who's going to survive this fucking thing? So uh, at, at this rate. All right, guys, any final thoughts on the Mandalorian season three finale? Actually, season three as a whole, I think most of us agreed it was probably their best season. The finale polarizing that it might have been. Tony, your thoughts on on another great season of the Mandalorian and uh, how excited are you for season four? Do we need to get some of those uh, those chair shot you know, uh, tank tops to hide your nipples. You're so excited. Get some pasties out. Uh, honestly, I'm looking at this up here and, uh, apparently George Lucas is the one that is stopped Yoda's species from being revealed. That's interesting. Why? Article back from April of 2022. I guess it's just part of the, it's like I was saying before, when you asked me about it, I was saying it's part of the mystery. It's part of, it's part of like just, leaving not everything that's part of the problem with the majority of the loudest section of our fandom is they can't just let certain things be you've already suspended your disbelief so much why do you have to actually know every fuck can't life is one giant fucking mystery and it's what makes it so interesting why does everything else that we look at and and take in and follow as a story why does everything else have to lack that this reminds me of one of my favorite things in recent comic s history. And I know it's we're, I know I'm 10 years away, but when Kirkman was doing Walking Dead and you know the show was really getting into it and they were like, "Okay, so he was ending the series and he was like, "So how so how did the the zombie apocalypse pop out?" And he was like, "It doesn't matter. I know, but it doesn't matter. I'll never tell you. What's important is the shit that's happening because of it." And I love that. Because Tony said, you don't need to know everything. The mystery of it makes it more interesting. Because if we knew why, would it be as interesting? The mystery, here's here's some quotes and some keywords. Remains a mystery as a magical character and maintaining its level of mystique. That's, that's the reasoning George Lucas gave. I mean, I can't complain with that. I got the some big- more... There's some more stuff from Pedro about season four, Tony, if you want to hear the most specific, The most specific thing you can say about them is it, it, that that's been given is it's a force sensitive species. Right. Pedro Pascal, that interview added on. I'm naturally a blabbermouth, but I really get protective of it because I get a thrill out of the surprises that are in store for the audience. And I don't want the likes of you to ruin it for everybody by answering your questions. <laughs> what a great response. Anyway. Yeah, I, I can't. I mean, Mandalorian season four is, is coming. We don't know when. Probably next year, I'm guessing. I mean, there's speculation that, you know, there was a bigger gap between two and three because of the pandemic. We obviously don't have to worry about that as much now. So hopefully by next year, 
you know, we'll get something for 2024 and it'll be uh it'll be awesome when we get the Mandalorian season four. But final thoughts, guys, before we cut out of here and head over to the trailer park. Anybody? I love it. I love the series. I love the characters. I love where they're going with it. I love the fact that we have another part of the Star Wars universe where we can tell a story in a number of different ways. And that being the, you know, the recolonization of of Mandalore and that story and everything we talked about that's going on with, you know, the New Republic and, and the, the, what is it, the First Order, right? Yeah. So I, another home run, I'm not disappointed at all. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed, you know, this Mandalorian character, Mando, is just something really, really special. I hope everybody appreciates that. Ray? You know, you know when you, um, you don't appreciate history when you're in the midst of it. It's something that time is kinder to. But I think we'll look back on this 10, 20, 30 years from now and realize how important of a show this was for the future of television, of sci-fi, of Star Wars, of streaming and whatnot. Because this show has, and I don't mean any disrespect to Star Wars in general, because the movies are what they are. They're an institution in themselves. But this show has essentially saved the Star Wars franchise because it it has expanded it into a world, into into a group, a group of people. No disrespect to Clone Wars or any of those shows. But this show single-handedly has, I think, brought in more fans than almost anything other than the original Trilogy 3. Would, would you say, Ray, it's the most universally accepted and approved Star Wars entity since Return of the Jedi? I completely agree. I, I, that's a very fantastic way to put it. And I love that because it, this is a, not only a love letter, but like at least, a, at least live action. And, yeah. And I, would, I think this is a love letter and essentially a blueprint on how to expand and extend a series that's older. And all it took was fucking Western, Western space bounty hunter. And it, it, it's, it's just so simple. Like, how Clint Eastwood didn't do this 20 years ago? I'm blown away. It's just so simple. I will I will add on this. I think that, yes, there is a danger of going overboard to try to retcon the sequel trilogy in this time frame. And we saw Moff Gideon, you know, all the Moff Gideon clones get destroyed in this thing and him all pissed off that they were destroyed before they could have their last, first breath. But I think this timeline after Jedi, before Force Awakens, has some of the most legs to it. And we're seeing some of the best storytelling right now. Mandalorian's an example. Boba Fett, you know, a little bit different because it was partly about him and part about Mando. Ahsoka's going to fall into this timeline. You've got so much fertile stuff going on in this era between Jedi and between Force Awakens. And so many questions still to answer. What happens to what's left of the Jedi? Is Rey really the last one left standing other than Luke, who's in exile? What happens to the Mandalorians? How does the First Republic, you know, or First Order really run? So you've got a lot of stuff that they're going to tell in this time frame, and it's the most compelling stuff that's out there right now. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing where we go. Good stuff. Uh, Tony, are we taking another commercial break before we go to the trailer park, or what are we doing here? Oh, why not, folks? Why not tell you about ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot? Head on over, pick up a T-shirt. You're already listening to ChairShot Radio Network, either on the ChairShot.com, where we encourage you to always use your head, or on one of your favorite streaming networks. Bandwagon Nerds, every Monday morning, we shall return this week with the trailer park. 
This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out thechairshot.com. Bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, thechairshot.com. Welcome back, folks. Bandwagon Nerds, episode 180. Just a great discussion about the Mandalorian season finale and where we might be going. But I tell you where we're going right now. It is time to go into the trailer park. And Ray, you asked earlier, what does Patrick love more or hate more? You know, banjos uh, by human banjos by Ray and PC Tunney or anything else. And I think the answer is always human banjos by Ray and PC Tunney. What do you, you guys you guys think that uh, there's any dispute about that? Tunney don't care. Patrick hates anything that involves Rick Ash. That's true. That is true. You know, at least you can admit that and you understand that. But we're going to get the banjos going anyway, and then we're going to take a visit into the trailer park. All right, guys, uh, trailer park this week, a little bit different. No big epic trailers, but some odd ones to be sure. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to talk the first one I want to talk about, you know, because I know you guys love horror, at least Ray. Ray and I appreciate horror a little bit more than Tunny does. But the first one is a adaptation of a Stephen King book story. I don't know if it's a novel or not. The Boogeyman, which is all about. That stuff that your parents told you about when you were a kid, you know, and 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 apparently this is the real life manifestation of the boogeyman uh, just tormenting children. I, like there's a line in here that this is what happens when you uh, don't pay attention to your kids. The boogeyman just comes to take it, take them. And this is a creepy freaking pro uh, trailer. I thought, Ray, what did you think of this thing, man? I uh, it's creepy. It's good. Classic horror. Good. You know. You know, don't watch in the dark. You might have nightmares after type horror. Watch with the lights. But on. yeah, but it, it's I'd watch it. I would not go to the theaters to see it. Look, man, I've watched so many, so many scary movies and so much horror that like I'll enjoy it. But I'm at the, I'm at the point now where like I need to see something else that's not just your standard uh, ooh type scary. You know what I'm saying? A jump scare. Like give me something more psychological. And this is your standard. You know, uh, don't you close your closet door? Don't look under the bed. And cool, I get it. So it'll be fun. It'll be interesting to see. But this is just run of the mill. I like what was the what was the one we talked about last week? Uh, talk to me. That was different. That's what I'm talking about. That's the type of stuff I want to see. Talk to me. Smile. Give, give right. me something new. Let's 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 let's. If we're gonna do horror, let's be let's be smarter about it. Let's be more clever about it. It's always a place for. You know, your slasher horror or your gore horror or your jump scare horror. There's always a place for that. But I, you know, give me more. I mean, and I guess you could say the same about another one we're going to do. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about later on. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, the best thing this has got going for it is Stephen King. So it's a King novel, a King story. So you know it's going to be 
fucking weird and creepy and stuff. And there, there's, there's elements. I mean, that, that red light and trying to, I guess, to get the kid over their fear of the dark and, and there's nothing wrong. And meanwhile, you see stuff in the, I mean, I know I do love that part of the trailer that you get to see things in the shadows that you're not sure. Did I just see something moving or am I imagining that? But, uh, you know, the closet door getting kicked open stuff that kids have genuinely feared their entire existence because of, you know, just our own imaginations getting the better of us. Tony, I know you're not going to see this, but what do you think of the trailer for the boogeyman? Uh, the red light was interesting, right? And the concept of the fact that we're taking the child with these false fears to someone that can help mentally, you know, assuade their, 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 you know, precaution, precautionary behavior. And then it turns out to be real. I guess it's just a kind of a small new twist on the same old story, but you're right. The connection of Stephen King here is the reason you're going to get a lot of people to watch it. It's the reason you're going to get a lot of people to go ahead and try and respectfully, um, dissect the storyline and and what they're trying to accomplish here definitely not for me um <laughs> obviously yeah. but uh, you know the, the red light was interesting and and the Stephen King connection uh is gives it a chance to succeed more so than any other film or story in this genre I'd say yeah I I agree with you um it's it, coming out June 2nd 2023 it, it might be one I check out I I kind of feel like I'm in the same boat as Ray, I wouldn't go to the theaters to see this. You know, it's going to be out on one of the streaming services pretty quick anyway. So I'll wait for that. L- let's switch up the order because, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Let's keep this the horror theme going because Ray kind of mentioned it. Um, the other horror based trailer we got the in- is Insidious, the Red Door coming in July of 2023. Guys, I'll be honest with you. I haven't watched any of the Insidious movies. Um, I've seen trailers and previews. It's just not something I've ever really been interested in ray same, same ray you've never seen it either no tony i know you haven't seen it either um i've i've heard i like when i'm watching the trailer and they're like 10 years later i'm like oh yeah this was a thing um this isn't my genre we've talked about it before so i'll let you take the floor but for me to like remember that there was an insidious um where is this story from? Is this this was did, was this made into a video game or is it from a video game or is it from a different kind of? I thought there was a video game. Insidious was one of those was one of those movies around like Paranormal Activity and those movies that kind of came out around the same time and Annabelle and like changed where genre where the genre was going. Um, because in fact, because I, I remember specifically, Insidious was the movie that um, I don't know. I know it's Patrick something, uh, but he's Orm, he's Ocean Master to me, right? Right. Wilson, Patrick, I, Patrick Wilson? something. Patrick Wilson, maybe, yeah. Maybe. That was like the movie that got him back popular again because he had kind of waned for a few years. Um, and it is very scary. It has horrifically scary scary imagery in it. I can't tell you what shit's about. But the the one the one little thing Tony mentions 10 years later, it's always in, excluding like the legacies, like Jason and Freddy and all those you very rarely see a scary movie look at what happened after the horrible event happened to the family. You'll never, we don't really see that too much, right? So it's cool to see that this is 10 years later and see what they're going through. And I guess apparently they're still going through it and don't fuck with red doors. Yeah, the red door is kind of the key. So this is, I'm looking at their Wikipedia page. This is one, two, three, four. This will be the fifth movie. 
in the series. I mean, geez. All right. Patrick Wilson is is a star. James Wan directed the first two films, which is probably why it got such a uh, a foothold on things. Um, the film center on a couple who, after their son mysteriously enters a comatose state, becomes a vessel for ghosts in an astral plane. They're haunted by demons from a forbidden realm known as the Further. Okay. And you heard that in the trailer. You know, you heard that. You hear the son talking about, I fell into a coma even though I wasn't ill at all. And, you know, so it's kind of demonic possession-ish sort of thing. Mm. And, and using this kid as a vessel to bring these spirits and beings into uh, into our world. Yeah, I haven't seen any of it. I've heard really good things about, you know, at least the, Insidious and, and that sort of thing. But I've never really watched it. I guess I'm going to have to start. Uh, I wish Patrick was here because he's the one who shared the uh, trailer. So clearly he's been influenced by it in some way. Um, but, I mean, it, it looks creepy enough for me. Uh, but without having any of the other movies as kind of like a, a background to draw from, uh, I can't really comment too much on it, except it looks interesting. We can at least say that it's a, it's a good thing for big budget horror that we're still having movies like this come and, and get in theaters. Because, you know, we, we, we talk on the show a lot about how there's nothing new anymore. Well, if there's one genre that comes up with new stuff constantly, it's horror. So at least that's that we can we can we can lament that. Is it new stuff though? These both seem like like okay. This is the eighth iteration of this movie, which is kind of like a take on a really simple horror story. And then the other one, we're you know we're retelling uh, the Boogeyman again. I mean, is it all? Is it? I mean, I'm I'm kind of getting to the point where everything keeps getting retold in a different way. There's nothing well, really authentic, except for I think the only real authentic thing, except it kind of is on the storyline of. What's been happening in the comic book universes is everything everywhere all at once. Was was is, was there a Boogeyman movie before? I mean, the Boogeyman, though, that's like not a new story. It depends sure. on how it's presented. You know, I, I think like, what, yes, one thing I will say is if there's any genre out there that is fertile ground for new stories, horror is probably right up there with science fiction as far as like this is a an idea generator. You know, and I mean, it's just a question of. Hollywood executives realizing, hey, there's really good because some of the best horror stories that I've ever read are from authors who you would never know who the hell they were. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like like these little authors who win the Bram Stoker Award ever because I wrote a plenty of horror when I was younger and that sort of thing. Some of it's pretty damn good if I do say so myself. But mm-hmm. uh, I know, right? It, it, some disturbing shit coming out of the uh, Mister Unger when he was much young. When I was the younger Unger. There was a lot of stuff coming. There's a title for the, the episode. Younger Unger. <laughs> Patrick, 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 I got your back. Food <laughs> for that. Anyway. Um, yeah, I but I know. was a much younger Unger. That's no, right. You know. Gone. Like, anyway, uh, Ray, you were saying before something. I was a lawyer, man. Yeah. No, I, the younger Unger is hilarious. Um, no. I'm I'm with you, Tony. As, but I think there's diff. It's a difference between an idea and an actual movie being redone. Like so much of what we see in the populace is, oh, this movie that was popular in the late '80s, we're gonna redo it now with new people. Oh, this this movie that was popular in the late '90s, we're gonna redo it now with new people. This TV show that was hot back then, we're gonna redo it again with new people. An idea. It's different because you can put your own thought on that idea. And there, to my knowledge, I don't remember no Boogeyman movie. So, yeah, I, I don't remember a Boogeyman movie. 
I mean, I remember a boogeyman wrestler, but I don't think that counts. Yeah, he lived in Houston, by the way. <laughs> anyway, imagine um, going. Imagine, imagine going to the H E. You don't know, have H E B. Imagine going to the Costco and seeing my boy walking down the line. That's uh, well. That's where it explains where he got all those worms at a reasonable price from, from Costco, huh? <laughs> There's some farmers weird market. shit at your local Houston Costco. That's for sure. Farm, farmers market, yeah. Farmers, farmers market. market. Here's a little tip that you can pick your own night crawlers if you're a fisherman. You go out after it rains at night, and you put red cellophane over your flashlight, and that way you can see them, and it doesn't cause the light cause them to go back into the hole. Get that from grumpy, grumpier old men? Is that where you got that from? No, but I did get it from my grandfather. Well, red, you know, red cellophane. I, mean, I wasn't yeah, going right. there. No, but seriously, red, red cellophane. It has been announced on bandwagon nerds. PC Tunny is Pennywise the clown. Could be Tunny. Could be Pennywise the clown. Let's. Uh, let... <laughs> I was gonna say he got the hairline, but I thought kinda, that would be too Yeah. Uh, this next trailer. Going back to the one we just skipped over, I'm not really sure what to make of this damn thing. I know Patrick, I forget who shared this, probably Patrick, fired on Mars, HBO Max. It actually has already come out. It came out April 20th. Uh, I haven't watched it yet. I, go, I go almost ahead. was going to watch this the other day. I seen it. I was scrolling through some stuff to watch and then uh, watched the trailer this morning, Dave. And it's really too much. <laughs> it looks like. Trailer's uh, a little too long. I think it, I mean, it tries, it almost tells you the whole story of what's going to happen to him in the trailer. I mean, the premise is he, you know, he's going to go to this colony on Mars and he's going to be, but he's going to be, he's going to do graphic design on Mars, right? He's going to do one of the most normal human things on earth, but he's going to go do it on Mars. And it's this big step, right? And that's got to be part of the, the comedy. And Luke Wilson is such a, you know, a dry com- comedic actor anyway. But then all these things happen, like where he joins a cult and he's on a secret mission and everything else. So I was hoping it would have been more of this slower, dry comedy where, like, he's unemployed on Mars. Like, what does unemployment look like on Mars? Because <laughs> I was beginning to think that'd be real funny. But it, it just seems like there's a lot going on. I, I don't know. I was more inclined to give it a try before I saw the trailer. Wow. That, it's rare that a trailer actually, like, Pause, makes us pause and say, it, I don't know. Doesn't look bad. It's just like I was hoping it was going to go a different direction. I just, I, I just don't, yeah, yeah, I don't know what to make of it because, because yeah. like you're saying, it, it's, it's like the one of the most mundane of tasks you're sent to. I mean, it's cool that we're trying to colonize Mars and that's fun, but really, uh, you know, you got the secret society down in the bowels of Mars, you know, plotting some sort of shit. I don't know, Ray. What do you think of this trailer? I mean, is this something that's on your radar? It, or? It's, it's the Ilmoon Mahdi. Uh, El- <laughs> boo, boo this man. Boo this man. Boo yourself, Boo buddy. yourself. Boo ya. Where's Stuart, where's Stuart so Scott when I need a boo ya? Boo ya. Rest in peace to the goat. Yep. It, it, it feels like you want more Bob's Burgers than Futurama and Archer. Oh, I don't even like uh, Bob's Burgers. But Bob's Burgers is kind of feels like what you're describing because I don't like scrubs i don't like scrubs either we know, well, you, we know. no comparison we know. to scrubs and bob burgers but okay um i think i think first and foremost it looks hilarious i think the premise in general is worth checking out number one um i caught it i haven't seen it yet but i did see it uh on hbo max before i saw the trailer 
because looking at look, you know, I watched Titans and I watched Barry. Barry came back out for his final season. Bill Hader, genius. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna catch it, but it feels like Futurama and Archer meets something very Seth Farland-esque in in space. Seth MacFarlane, it, 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 a little bit, and I, I think had it had it Seth with this. Is it is this Seth MacFarlane? No, I don't think so. But I'm just oh. saying it feels this kind of Seth MacFarlane gets kind of pigeonholed into the family guy. But if you've seen stuff like the Orville, the boy is all expensive with its comedy, right? But we look at that as that's that's his only comedic tone. Um but no, it it I mean the premise looks good. I just I think if it's just been 10 episodes or eight episodes of him just like wandering aimlessly around, you know, Mars street, it wouldn't be as funny because that has a, has a shelf life, but him delving into all these other things now that, cause he has all this free time. I think, he, I think it could be really funny, but I'm going to give it a try based on the premise alone. Okay. I, you know, I, I, and listening to you explain it cause makes me pause and think, you know, maybe I should check it out and not, not just judge it on, the fact that I'm watching the trailer and I'm like, I, I'm not sure I get it. You know, that sort of thing, which of course at my advanced age, I don't get a lot of things, you know, because creators I'm are, not uh, the younger younger anymore. And you know, it, it, all right, listen, splinter, uh, <laughs> Nate, Nate Sherman and Nick Volke do those names ring a bell. Nate Sherman worked on bridesmaids and this is 40. Nate Sherman also was a cornerback for the Packers back in the nineties, wasn't he? No. no. <laughs> And then Nick Volke, boy, Loki. He was uh, he's the brother of Thor, right? Is that who we're talking about? <laughs> I don't see God, any. Just a god of mischief, no big deal. But hey, we'll see what happens. I don't know. I, I man, they look Ray, like they Ray, when you watch it, let us know. I'm sure Patrick will let us know how good or not good it is. We'll see what happens. But yeah, it, like I felt kind of felt like Tony. There's a lot to kind of <laughs> figure out what's going on in this thing. On the opposite end of that spectrum is the final, I'm air quoting trailer. It's not really a trailer. It's a title reveal. Godzilla, X-Kong, The New Empire, coming 2024. The latest edition in the Universal Studios MonsterVerse. Not a whole lot here other than the visage or the vision of, uh, or not the visage, the right word. But just we get to see, I don't know, it looks like a version of Kong with Godzilla's nuclear breath filling up his eyes or something, and you get to see the skulls of what we presume are Godzilla and King Kong basically at the there in this cave. Ray, what do you think? I mean, I know you're a kaiju fan, if I remember correctly. What do you think I, of this thing? Ray, we're missing... Love... There's two people we should have on the show right now for this argument, right? Oh, you Robin J? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Robin J. I was about to shout out Jay. Our body one and, and hamming a card. Like if you want to see one of the greatest like kayfabe Twitter feuds of all time, follow these gentlemen because they are fans of the genre and they are each a fan of one of each of these. And if you follow the Twitter feud, you'll find out soon. And if you're having a bad day or you just need to laugh or something, it's so fun how they do this. And it just, it's, it's one of my favorite things about Twitter is their feud for these two kaiju characters uh, on Twitter. So who who's a fan of which one? I don't. I think I think Rob's the 
Godzilla guy and Jay's the um um the Kong guy. Kong guy. Yeah, so they'll just go back and forth about like all of a sudden they have wrestling styles and how one has four moves of death and then, you know, this other guy's out here getting from, you know, uh pimped out uh, you know, sponsors and stuff like that. And your movie was, you know, three, you know, three moves and a fart or something. It's just an interesting interesting beef that's totally kayfabe there on, on the old Twitter. That's awesome. But are you a fan uh, of the Godzilla versus Kong movie? I'm or that not whole, a fan that of whole the, thing. I'm not a fan of the genre, really. Um, I remember growing up and just the, the lack of production value really, <laughs> really didn't do it for me. Because here's the thing. Like, I didn't spend a lot of time watching TV as a kid. I was more encouraged to go outside and play or sports or music. Like a lot of people don't know, like I played the piano from kindergarten all the way through grade school. So that took up my time. So, but the thing I did do is I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and almost every Friday we would go to the movie theater or my dad and I would go to the movie theater. And I'm talking from like mid eighties forward. So here's a kid who's going to see all this production value on really good, close to kid-friendly to kid-friendly movies that, you know, everybody wanted to see in these time periods. And then coming home and watching like 1970s and early 80s Godzilla and King Kong. And I mean, it's not, why would I be interested in that? You know what I'm saying? I would At that age, I would rather watch a cartoon or go play the piano or go build a snowman or go shoot hoops or go ride bikes with the kids outside. So I still, you know, <laughs> Ray's got to step out for a few minutes. Uh, I still like uh, in remember when in the hangover when Les- let him, let's let him get his uh, he's going to give his thoughts oh, real quick. Ray, Give us your off. thoughts on this thing. Sorry, y'all. It's 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 been a very busy family day. Um uh, first and foremost, I'm Team Kong. Let that be known. Um, Kong hashtag real life baby face. Um, but and also I'm Team Big Meaty. That was going well. All right, sorry, technological issues there on my end for once. Ray was talking about big meaty monsters slapping monster meat. Tony, is that what he was talking? I I didn't hear it. We lost connection there. Wait till Mothra gets involved. Oh, big meaty Mothra's slapping. Anyway, um, yeah. So, <laughs> I, I, I mean, there's not a lot given away in this in this uh, trailer, other than the title and that we're going to get it in 2024. So, listen, story oldest time: giant dinosaur against giant gorilla. I still like remember in, uh, in the Hangover where Leslie Chow jumps out of the uh, the trunk and he's swinging the crowbar and Alan's trying to talk him down. I hate Godzilla. I hate him too, man. <laughs> so. All right. Well, shit. I feel bad that I Ray. Thanks to internet connection on my end, that got all messed up. I'm sure Ray said we know that he's on Team Kong. That's the most important part of that conversation, but. Tony, I think it's time to take our last commercial break and get into some news around the nerdosphere. We got some stuff to talk about. Once again, where can people get their hands on that, on those new tank tops that will make sure that even if you're excited, excited, your nipples won't give you away. Is that what we're doing? 
I think the the key there is, and I don't know. That's interesting. You go non soft style, and then you might have a braised nipples, and they'll be raised nipples. Or do you go soft style, and they're so comfortable that you're excited and you can feel these nipples anyway? ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot. We got your nipples covered. Apparently, that's the new slogan. Got to be the new slogan, Greg. Wagon nerds, chair shot radio network, thechairshot.com. Always use your head, right, Chris? Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. All right, guys, we are back here. Episode 180, Bandwagon Nerds. Time to talk some news around the nerdosphere. We've got a, a plethora of topics to discuss today. We're going to kick this off with some kind of concerning news coming out of Hollywood. There might be a writer's strike looming. As of May 1st, the Writers Guild Association, I think, if I'm understanding this correctly, their contract with the studios and with Hollywood, essentially, is up. And to make matters worse, 98% of the writers have voted to strike, which is damn near unanimous. If they strike, and I and I made the comment about this, that this is still indicative of the fact that they're not being compensated properly. Hollywood has not adjusted to the streaming first model that we've seen so many issues come up with, Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit, things of that nature. And these writers are are pretty pissed off that they're their pay has not been commensurate with the change in the dynamic, the change in the model, the change of all this stuff going on. There's an article that I shared, I think it was from today, that's talking about um, the impact of this and the like the immediate impact of what's going on. And the Writers Guild warns of impact on streamers' legacy networks as potential strike looms. WGA says there will be immediate stoppage of new episodes on shows such as The Tonight Show. Uh, potential impact on streamers profitability goals if they strike pretty big deal i know patrick had posted something about it earlier this week uh, we've all looked at it tony th- this is um this is pretty concerning i would have to say wouldn't you uh isn't it interesting that we're like getting into summer though like we're almost done with everything <laughs> and this right. is where this is where this happens um so it leads me to believe one of two things you know well, which is pretty, you know, non-reactionary is that they're going to fix it or they're not. I, the only thing that leads me to believe that they may not get this fixed in the short term is the fact that we're moving into summer. I don't know that that necessarily means anything, but it's definitely easier to elongate negotiations when you know that it's not a big a deal for sponsors and long-term money kind of thing. Although it seems like the longer this goes on, the more bitter things get. Obviously, I, I don't know. Is it that egregious that things need to be reconciled for the writers' union? Um, and I think that's the kind of level of where we're going to have to figure this out. I don't know how big deal is the Tonight Show, really. You know, like you told me that 25 years ago, 35 years ago, 45 years ago. But uh, it doesn't really mean much to me or anybody else anymore. Um, other things though, that start, you start getting into this lore of what we talk about more that people are really paying attention to. If it, you know, stretches to that horizon, that'd be more interesting to me, but I I just see it being a short-term thing, honestly. Yeah. I mean, 
I think it, and I'm reading more about this. So it's it's a deal in place between the Writers Guild of America and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. Contract expires May first. Ninety eight percent of the WGA members have said, "Yeah, we're going to strike." Uh, they're currently negotiating a deal. My gut instinct says they'll work it out because there's too much at stake for them not to. It's a power play. It's a power play. Doesn't it feel like a power play and and a power play that that probably was expected from um from from the other side and that was necessary for the writers guild it looks like um to me it just seems like a a negotiating tool i think i don't think it's still think it's short term definitely i mean they're talking about the impact to hulu peacock each hbo max or max right off the bat because you know they would they would lose access to um to a variety of things but um okay hopefully Interruptions are minimized here from now out. Ray Cashback. Hey. Hey. Um, I know you're talking about monsters slapping monster meter a little while ago, but I'd rather get your thoughts on this looming strike with the Writers Guild Association of America and the Alliance of Motion Pictures. Is this something to uh, worry about? What do you think, Ray? It's absolutely something to worry about because, first and foremost, I think any big company is always going to take advantage of they can take advantage of. I mean, we saw it in a smaller form with the v- VFX artists in Disney and their qualms and quibbles. But I was listening to, and I want to shout her out because she's actually a famous actress, but she has a, uh, a syndicated radio show now that's here in Houston, Amanda Seals. Um, and she kind of broke it down in a way that made me understand. You know, back in the days of the glory days of television, uh, sitcoms and TV shows had 22 episodes, right? Can you hear me? Yeah, hear you. Okay. Um, yeah, they had something like 22 episodes or something like that. Now, it didn't, then it started going to 13, and now you have seasons that have six, seven, eight episodes, right? And then you have some writers can't make a living anymore because the shows they're on, they're like some, so many of these writers and so many of these, uh, Showrunners are given studio deals. It's like Shonda Rhimes has a studio deal with Netflix now. So her team probably can only really work for Netflix and her shows. And if a show only has six episodes of a season and she's got 20 writers on the show, what are you doing? How are you making your living? I know I see the late night shows and like SNL. That's different because late night is... 40 to 50 episodes a year. SNL is 20 to 30 a year. But I just, the fact that I'm, I, as a country, we haven't raised minimum wage in 20, 30 years for regular work should tell you, I doubt that the writers are being paid appropriately. And so they need to get this figured out. And I remember the last writer's strike we had, what was it in 2013? Was it? Somewhere around there. Yeah, like I, I, I'm, we, I'm all for paying the people who actually make these shows happen more, and giving them better work environments. So unless someone can tell me that they're asking for something that's ridiculous, I'm, I'm a to labor. Here, here is the funny thing: is the concern of the everyday consumer of of this content that's going to be affected is going to sit here and tell you the same thing that all of us say here. And what and we we consume a lot of content, uh, way more than the average content consumer in in this particular field. 
Absolutely. And we all still say, uh, I, I, I would love to watch that, but I got so I got so much shit I got to watch, you know. So a lot of us right now in the beginning, we go, eh, eh, okay, I mean, I, I am great. Maybe I can catch up on all this stuff that I said, hey, I'd like to check that out. Well, no, and um, you raise a great point, Tony, and it ties into this article for The Hollywood Reporter. Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandos noted his company may be better positioned than others should a strike occur due to the streamer's large stockpile of content. Um, David Zasloff, our buddy over at Warner Brothers and in, in, in HBO Max or Max or whatever the fuck you want to call it, has said the company has content lined up should a work stoppage occur. Where this impacts on the flip side of this, though, is because Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery have told their investors they anticipate their streaming services will reach profitability by 2024 and 2025, respectively. The WGA, Writers Guild Association, is saying if we strike, that could jeopardize those projections. Now, that's a big deal. If you're talking Disney that'll, and WB Discovery, yeah. you know, their profitability stockholder. Yeah, that'll change stockholder prices. Right. So, man, half of the damn WB Discovery shows now is fucking Emeril Lagasse and fucking bam. Chip and Joanna and, and Guy Fieri. Like, you know, like, especially with this new Max thing about to pop out, like, you killed most of your scripted television. That's true. That's true. But I, I think, like Tony and I were saying, and I, Ray, I, I suspect. I suspect you agree they're going to work this out. That stuff always seems to get worked out at the last minute. I do. I I I do. I do not think they get it done May second, May fifth, maybe. Like they're, they're going to make them sweat for a second because. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I I don't think they get it done right away. Three days later, yes, but that's it. But think, I mean, as we have an actual contracts attorney with us right now. Am I wrong? Isn't that how sometimes it happens? Oh sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, they they the work later later doesn't doesn't affect anyone's money. Not much, not much. Three days is not going to fit, and that's not going to make yeah. a big deal. But I mean, you know, it could. But anyway, let's uh, we'll see. I, I think I think they'll avoid it. It may. There's too much money on the line, and too much too big of an impact to too many people who matter for them to just say, ah, fuck it, let's just let these guys strike. Um, you know, content creators should get paid what they're worth. Shout out no to Chris. Shit. Shout out to Chris Platt who said that years ago. And uh, stop giving Chris credit. Stop <laughs> it. And maybe it'll entice him to come back on the show at some point. We need to throw yeah. up their Platt signal. Is what we need to do. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the fucking bulbs burnt out. It's been changed so many goddamn times. That's true. That is very true. Let's talk about uh, another. Uh, the ongoing saga of Jonathan Majors, fellas. Um, <sighs> man, so. Interestingly, his management team majors have reportedly been dropped from his management team at Entertainment 360 and his PR team at the lead company. Uh, they're not really responding to statements right now. There's several other TV and film and television roles, projects and development have dropped majors from their cast. According to Deadline, the magazine Dreams actor will no longer star in the film adaptation of the movie, The Man in My Basement. Or be considered for the unannounced fifth season's Otis Redding biopic, Otis and Zelma. Um, despite all that, though, he's still Kang, as far as I can tell. That hasn't changed. His lawyers are maintaining his innocence. It is a fucking mess as to what the truth is. With you know, But there are people coming out of the woodworks. There is blood in the water. And there are people coming out of the woodworks saying, yeah, he did this to me. He's a bully. He's an asshole. Blah, 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 blah so forth and so on. I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm just saying there's always he said, he said sort of situation 
Ray, your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, this situation keeps getting worse for Jonathan Majors. He was on top of the world and shows how quickly things can change in Hollywood. Do you know how wild it is for a PR firm to drop you? They're quite frankly, the only reason they have a job is for shit like this. And for them to drop you, it's horrifying. Now, this is a, this is a situation that is so ho- so horribly unique in that it's this this is the lay of the land we sit in. According to all the available information we have, it looks like he may not have done this, but he's going down for a bunch of the other shit he did in his past, and this brought that to light. And if that's the case, that's just that that's maybe that may be even more unfortunate. Number one. What's what's done in the dark is gonna come to the light. That's an old, all our grandparents told us that as kids, right? And I believe that firmly. But I I find it so arrogant for a person to choose a life in the limelight, and then to pursue things in the limelight further, like my boy, like like he did, like Jonathan did here, and become, excuse me, uh, essentially the it actor of the time. And to, if he did do these things, arrogantly think, ah, no, nah, it'll never come out. That is wild to me. You think nobody's going to speak up ever? And it's, it's so disappointing because, the man, everything he, he, he's talked about and he stood for and he brought his own little cup because it represented staying grounded and he brought his own, like all the shit he talked and then again, innocent into proven guilty. And I don't need to tell you guys about how easy and how regularly and how um, how controversially the media will take a black man and find the worst thing of him and deem him guilty without there being any possibility of like adjudication. This has happened for hundreds of years. And I'm not saying this is the case here so far, but I'm just saying, like, as a black man myself, you get I get a little nervous seeing the rhetoric involving this because, like, we know nothing, right? Ultimately, what do we know? Well, it's funny oh. you mentioned that. <laughs> our one of our favorite websites, the Direct, you know, the Direct, we go to the Direct a lot. They're reporting that his alleged abuse victim was employed by Marvel. Yeah. So Jesus. Yes. Yes, one hundred percent. So it it it's just it's twist after twist, after twist after. Apparently, the woman that he abused in the moment, she said he broke his thumb, but then they got pictures and video for all night partying, thumb working fine. Apparently, the lawyers say that um, he called. She there was an altercation in the car, and he got out the car, and then he called. He called. He called the cops. This has been consistent that he called the cops that's been consistent so far the one consistent thing but then apparently there's a a story going on and this come from his lawyers so there's no telling how honest or how real it is because they're lawyers of course yeah they're lawyers we know we i know ray trust me i know but but that the cops coaxed the girl into saying he choked her because they asked her something like 19 times and she said no and finally the cop did his hands around his neck and said did he do this and finally she said yes so, like, again, this is so this is this if this was just one particular issue, this one issue in general, 
I don't think he'd be dropped. It's I think it's all the other shit coming to light possibility. It, you know, because where there's smoke, there's fire. And right now this motherfucker is burning. Tony, uh Jonathan Majors, man, this story just keeps getting worse for him. Your prediction, is he going to, A, is he going to get dropped by Marvel? B, if so, when do you think that's, that shoe is going to drop? The hammer is going to drop. Uh, on the whole situation, first and foremost, I think it's important to remember that a lot, the, the, the bigger of scale of which you impact your society, the more important it is to make sure that you maintain the company that you keep. And that works on a lot of levels in this story, as far as who you cast and as far as who a certain someone hangs out with. Now, the future of the MCU. What does it cost to recast him? Because that's the question they've been asking themselves since this happened. And right now, it costs too much, apparently. Um, you probably have to go back to Quantum Mania and CGI in somebody actors else's face into at least the arena scene with all the different Kangs, maybe. I don't know. Maybe you just totally... Um, Becky this from Roseanne and just show up in the first one with a different face on it. I don't know. It's more likely. I don't, I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do here. Um, if, if a lot of this comes out to be true, then shame on the people who did the casting and didn't do their research. And if this doesn't come out to be true and it's really a bad situation that Jonathan majors found himself in, unfortunately, which sounds like he was, Hanging out with the wrong people. So, real quick, real quick, Dave, Dave. To your to the last point you made about the recasting, the Cosby Show is on today. Kevin Spacey's still in every movie he was been in, and I understand we're doing a running thing where he's a major part of a franchise. But those are yeah. The, 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 to me, that's apples and oranges because that's like syndication stuff or re-airing well, whatever. Right. And you're you got to go and find it and pick it, and it's already making money on it. And it's like, well, never mind. You know, the, no the, one talks about it. This is like front stove burner. Right. The point I'm making is, society has shown that we're okay seeing something that's already been made without having to change that. So I think if they were to go forward, if he were to lose the job, if they were to go forward after everything that was already made. And change the, the wind. If, if well, if we were to go forward and recast them with somebody different, at this point, I think most most of us, the majority of us, if not all of us, would go back and not have a problem with seeing him and he and Loki one season one and M and Quantum Mania because we realized this was done before they had a chance to change it. Because if they were to go back and have to change that shit, like that would be that would be worse than recasting. In my opinion. Here's my, you guys want to know my prediction? They no, will, please go on to the next topic. Okay. All right. Let's talk Mario. <laughs> uh, so, no. Come back. Come back. Come back. No, oh, I, I think the story. they've got an opportunity here to write the ship because Loki season two is coming pretty soon. And it's not going to be hard for them to flip Jonathan Majors to a different variant in the con. They have to reshoot something for sure. But that's going to be a lot cheaper than doing like you're talking, Tony, where we're going to let CGI fix this thing. I was like, look, we'll recast him. We'll the story fl- is we'll flip like, this. Into too many a- people, too many, too many right. people found out about my appearance when that gathering happened. And now I've flipped it over to this. Right. And all the new ones are this. Yeah. I, and they I could suppose. they could just put in a different variant the of Kang. Way to do it. Yeah. 
Um, I, and no. I think I also think that Disney is going to take a more of a let's wait and see. Let's not completely base this on the court of public opinion. Let's let this actually play out in the law enforcement and in the actual courts before we make any sort of decision right now, because we've got too much invested in this anyway. I mean, you know, all this other stuff that's going on with him is a big deal, but it's on the grand scale of, you know, where that falls money wise way below what's going on with Disney and with the MCU. So they may want to say, let's let this play out. If we need to, if this isn't done by the time Loki drops, we'll flip it during the course of that show and come up with a different variant and we'll have to recast Kang. That's my prediction. Not a spoiler, but a prediction. Remember this gentleman. I like it. Hulk was supposed to be Edward Norton. That's right. Hulk. So like recasting don't mean nothing to Marvel. Yeah. Well, that, that was different. Because Edward Norton was a pain in the ass. So I mean, they, how many pain in the yeah, asses they work with? One was unnecessarily a pain in the ass. It's, it's maybe little, so, but I mean, I mean, it's like it's a little different because Kang's going to be a big, bigger player. That I mean, and that was so early in the whole grand scheme of the MCU that it's a little different now. It's a good comparison. I mean, it's an interesting comparison. I'll say that it is. It is. But I, I still, I the think, Avenger. I think Loki season two is going to be the key for this whole thing. Where we are, when that drops, a lot will be known by then. They can make a decision at that point in time. Well, Loki comes out in like three months, bro. So like, I mean, I so much they, not, can they do. don't have much time. They don't have much time. But I think it, it will it will ride out between now and then. You'll have much more information. Either this will be dropped and a lot of it will go away or it won't. And they'll have to make a yeah. call. Um, I just want to say something before we move on from here, and it, it made it reminded me of some content that I consumed recently. Vice TV, um, vicetv.com. If you need to go check out some past stuff there, if you have a you know internet provider with a cable subscription, you can go on there and check out their old stuff. Icons unearthed. I watched uh, the entire Marvel series. Yes, yes. I seen a, bits and pieces of the Star Wars one. I seen a lot of the Simpsons one. I'm not a Fast and Furious fan. Maybe someday I'll I'll consume that content. I've seen the first one. I thought it was really good, but kind of over everything um, since John. Since you know, bring back bring back Jaw Rule. Maybe I'll get back into Fast and Furious. No, that's a joke. Um, all about but, family, bro. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I am Groot. Uh, all I can say is that uh, the Icons on Earth series on Vice TV is right up. Uh, this listenership and and our fandoms alley. So make sure you go check it out. It, it, it's well done. I watched the uh, stuff about Captain America and the first Avenger, the skinny Steve, all the problems they had with skinny Steve. That was really interesting to watch. So I agree with you, Tony. That's fantastic show for people to check out. Let's talk about the number one movie in the world, basically, which is not what you'd think it would be, but it is Mario. And <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Super Mario Brothers, obviously not a critical hit, but it has just annihilated the box office. So over the long Easter weekend, the movie nabbed $204.6 million domestically. But here's the big news. A week later, the film had the biggest second weekend performance for any animated film ever. And now it's going on three weeks. But they it beat Frozen 2, domestically gaining a whopping 87 million domestically its second weekend. I don't know what the numbers are for the third weekend. But it has led now to the fact that we are going to get more Nintendo movies. Uh, and I think the, who is it? it was it, It's Mario's creator, I think, is talking about a legendary Nintendo game creator confirmed. Oh, it's Zelda's. Okay. 
legendary video game creator Shigeru Miyamoto, the man behind the likes of Mario, Zelda, Donkey Kong, and more, confirmed that thanks to the success of the Super Mario Brothers animated film, more big Nintendo movies are on their way. So kind of a two-part question. We talked about this already as to Marvel, or excuse me, Nintendo movies that we might want to see adapted into either animation or live or live action. Um, you know, I mean, is the Nintendo verse a thing that we kind of slept on a little bit, Tony? I brought this up when we talked about this film to begin with. It crosses so many generations age-wise. It, it reaches so many demographics, right? From like young kids right now to people that were young kids even 40 years ago. Mario's a big thing. It's the biggest, it's, it's, it's almost the biggest thing in, in video game history. And then th- what to expect coming forward you just you just said it in the three things you said. You said Mario, you said Zelda, you said Donkey Kong. And if we're going to have a connected Nintendo universe as far as storytelling goes with these movies and they're getting big enough stars to do it and obviously they're getting the people to show up and care about it, as long as it looks good and the overall story is cohesive, it doesn't have to be like the Scorsese you know, Kubrick masterpiece of a story that you see on screen. It's supposed to look cool. It's supposed to keep you interested. And I heard scenes were short to the point. And it's about more than that. It's about merchandising. It's about re-merchandising all these things. Zelda, Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong is a perfect um, way to keep going with Mario because he was part of this movie. Zelda is an even better way to spin off. What else could you do from this with Nintendo? What else would you guys like to see? Because obviously, like I said, the biggest thing is this hits so many demographics where even Patrick said the little O'Dowd is all about this. So that means we're getting all the way down to that grade school age and all the way up to people that are in their 50s. That's huge. That's a huge cross-section of the world. Not just America, the world. And Nintendo's got so much to draw from. I mean, you're talking Zelda. Could we talk how that could be a great live action series? Metroid. I mean, Samus, you know, I mean, give me a Metroid series. I'm all in on that. Um, F-Zero would be, Ray, you love Fast and Furious, man. F-Zero would be well, like something that they could. Contra. Contra uh, yeah, Contra would be something. But go ahead, Star Ray. Star Fox. Star Fox. Yeah, Star Fox. Uh, Luigi. You know, Mega Man. You know, they, they could do a Mega Man thing. I mean, there's something that we haven't explored. Kirby. Kirby. Kirby, yeah. yeah. Kirby would be you, Or you could, and, and the Avengers will be Super Smash Brothers. That's right. Against, yeah, I mean, Super Smash Brothers Brawl could be kind of the end game sort of thing. There's so much potential with these properties that, and, and you've got flexibility. You can do it animated. You could do live action. People are going to accept, fans are going to accept either medium. The same. They're, it's And it's, they're unique from the MCU, which doesn't has had problems with that where people only want to accept live action so i think this movie has shown just how successful this sort of thing can be and it is uh, i mean it's it's gangbusters you look at the numbers going ray you know before we cut away from this your thoughts on this nintendo verse that we really haven't talked about too much but now it's, it seems to be a thing for the record i just saw i just finally just saw it last night how was it uh, amazing really all right I, I I loved every minute of it. It transformed me back to a child. It answered a lot of people bitched about Chris Pratt uh, when he was given the 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 role because uh, 
besides the voice actor argument, well, because, you know, they heard the voice he had in the in the trailer and the first five minutes of the movie explains the voice. And I'm glad they just shut that shit up and moved on with the movie. But it was really cool. The music was on point. It it it, it made sense. The it was, it was so fun, just so fun. And, you know, we I think a case could be made monetarily. I don't think it's even the question. But I think a, a real legitimate case could be made that Mario is the biggest and most influential comic, I mean, a video character, video game character ever. So the fact that we're sitting here in 2023 and we're just now saying, huh, probably should have done a Mario movie is wild. And yes, 100 percent. I'm 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 not on board so much with the idea of animated. I think Zelda and, and Metroid could be live action. Samuel Lane, bro. Do these anime movies and do them big. Do them up. Because they work. The four biggest Nintendo uh, exclusive gaming universes, and we'll just use their biggest, most popular um, uh, console right now is the Switch by far, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, It's Kirby. It's Mario, obviously. It's Zelda, obviously. And it's Animal Crossing. Yeah, that's a new one now. Animal Crossing Crossing would be tough. That's because it's... That could be huge for like the the G rated one for like the, that could be their thing for like the four sure. through seven year old. Sure, they did an Angry Birds movie. If they could do Angry Birds, they could do Animal. They Crossing. already did Angry Birds. No, I'm saying they did an Angry Birds. So I'm saying if they did one, they could do an Animal Crossing. They could, and yeah, the I mean, same guys. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Personally, I'd rather see Metroid than Animal Crossing, but that's me. I think we're I think we're looking at more of a Mario. Mario's so deep, and then uh, Zelda along the way. Zelda Those is the more ones that stand. Tina. Yeah, right. Like, love to see live action actually Zelda and not animated, and and get that cast correct. That'd be amazing. I agree. Zelda's the one that I want to see uh, more than anything. Let's let's turn over to the MCU. You, Sorry, Tony. Go live ahead. action more so or animation with Zelda? For Zelda live action. I think they could do right? some really cool stuff. They could do some Witcher sort of stuff with Zelda. It'd be cool, but I I I'm. I think they should just stay in their lane and do all animated, but it would be cool. Okay. I, you know, I got to watch the Mario movie to, to, to see, you know, just how much I loved it to, uh, to get to that point. But let's talk some MCU news. Um, kind of sort of casting news, maybe in some respects we got a uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. I didn't even know she has a podcast until I read this article that I didn't, goop. and I just, goop. I just goop. Yeah. I just posted this this morning for you guys. So Scarlett Johansson has basically said she's done with the MCU. Her story has been told. There's nothing left to tell about the black widow story. Gwyneth Paltrow, on the other hand, not quite so committed to saying never say never. I guess that's her kind of response to this in true WWE fashion. Because as she says, well, my, my character didn't die. And she's right. Pepper didn't die. And there could be, so, you know, we got Pepper, you got Morgan, uh, Tony, and all that sort of thing. But I thought, I thought the article and the, and the content was important because we've talked so much about the multiverse in the MCU. Could characters come back? Could different variations of characters come back? Could we get a different variation of Black Widow? Scarlett Johansson has apparently ruled that out. I think money might talk if it really came down to that. And we know she likes to make money from her lawsuit against them. So, you know, you could, (laughs) so you could see something, uh, but you know, what do you guys think? I mean, I, I tend to agree with Scarlett Johansson that there's not a lot left. You can tell about black widow. I mean, beloved character that she was, but 
you know, if, if we're going to dabble with the notion of bringing Robert Downey Jr. back at some point in Armor Wars or somewhere else down the line, maybe you bring back Gwyneth. What do you guys think of this? Ray, what, what do you think, man? So I read this headline and, and my first thought was, well, fucking duh. Like Gwyneth Paltrow is the difference between them and the MCU is Scarlet is a A-list m- main level top star actress in the MCU. Well, the Paltrow is a secondary, third, tertiary character. So, yes, she could pop in and pop right back out because they're not giving her, her the, the rescue show. We're not going to see that. Right. That's true. So, of course, it I, would make sense for her to pop in for an episode or two or for a cameo for five, ten minutes and make two, three, four, five, ten million dollars. Yeah, of course. I would say never say never, too. It's not like she's important to the MCU. Now, um, there are stories where especially with Ironheart, with uh, Riri, where with Tony Gunn, she does look to um, uh, Pepper and MJ, by the way, uh, Mary Jane Watson, from a comic book standpoint. I don't, they'll touch them, they'll cohabitate, I'm sure, gravitate in each other's area at MIT. But so that, that could be a way for her to pop back in, you know. Um, if Morgan grows up and wants to do something, that could be a way. But yeah, this, this is a and Scarlet, I don't. Scarlet's done acting. Scarlet's gonna start directing in the MCU. I don't. I think she's absolutely gonna do something behind the camera. But this was this is this was the biggest duh article I've seen in a good long time. Well, fine, Ray. Jeez, I was just trying to share some Marvel news. You don't got to shit all over it. Tony, what do you think of this? Man? Remember you shit on Power Rangers earlier. That's right. There we go. Tony, is, is Ray right? Is this the most you know obvious? headline in the history of bandwagon nerds or what i mean there's no reason she shouldn't come back and i will say this i think she's every bit the a-list actress that scarlett johansson is um in in the world yes but in mcu she doesn't matter is what i'm saying it has to do with i'm not talking about she's most closely has never been important in the mcu she is she's important to tony stark and tony stark's dead and tony stark is dead for the most important reason in MCU history up to this point. That had nothing to do with Pepper. Yes, it does. And I think it lends itself obviously to um, armor wars or maybe, maybe even more importantly, we heard of like Ultron being a big, a big bad or a bad in, in more importantly, well, would Pepper have anything to do with that. Wouldn't that be more because, of a banner thing? Because that's part of Tony's personality inside Stop putting of stuff on Tony. On Pepper, when yeah, Pepper stayed away from all of that. One left that's most closely associated no, she's with... she's not. Rhodey is there. Happy is there. Planner is there. All three of them were part of the stuff oh, happening. God. Ray. They were all there, part of the stuff happening. Pepper had nothing to do with Iron Man suits being made, but Rhodey did. Happy Hogan was there doing all of the dirty work, all of this. Banner created Ultron and, and, uh, and Vision. Those three are there. They're still there. Pepper's not important. I, I think she's more important than you're giving her credit for, Ray, but I don't know about... So why important storyline-wise, Ray? I'm sorry? Say it again? I didn't hear it. Your reasons as to why she could be important storyline-wise. No, no. So could be. You, you could make her right now the leader of the Avengers if you wanted to. Could be is absolutely... All I, I'm saying is... All I'm saying is, in the hierarchy of what we've done now, of importance, Pepper is of the lowest of the low. Who plays all those actors and actresses? Who plays all those parts? 
I don't understand the question. I'm sorry. The, the people you think are more important, who plays all those parts? You really want me to answer that question? Yeah, any of them more bigger than Gwyneth Paltrow? Doesn't matter how fucking big the actress is. You just talked about being a star and being important as a star with Scarlett Johansson. I'm saying that you were wrong. You, you're, you're, no, you're, you, didn't, you didn't hear me right. You, you're all taking, these are stars behind. It's you're a taking what I said a different way. That's not what I meant. You, that's what you're doing you're, to me. Ray's saying no, that from a not. character standpoint, Black Widow yes. is much more important than Pepper Potts. From an that's act, what I'm saying. From an actor standpoint, yeah, they're probably no, pretty I, even. Scarlett no, Johansson no. and Gwyneth Paltrow are probably... The entire time. Pepper Potts has never mattered. I the said only time she ever, huh? I said till now. So you you telling me? Well, she mattered in Iron Man three. It's a, <laughs> that's the only time she did. You're right, absolutely. All right, but you're, so you're telling me going forward, going to the Kane Dynasty and the uh, fuck Secret War, whatever it is, that Pepper gonna be leading the Avengers, right? She is. That's, that's it, man. Spider Gwen. Does whatever goop can. Hey, speaking of Spider-Man, I saw this. Um, I couldn't confirm the rumor, but there is rumors that they're finally going to get Spider-Man and Venom on Disney+. Plus. Um, it's already there. Oh, no, it's it? already there. Is Everything's it? up. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. I, what I the hell every, every, yeah. When did that happen? I'm way behind. A couple days ago. Oh, yeah. a couple. All right, I'm not that far behind. You know, you guys are killing me. Let's talk some different casting news. Tony shared this. Allegedly... Adam Driver has been offered the job of Mr. Fantastic in the Fantastic Four movie. Uh, I know we've all got differing opinions about Adam Driver, Kylo Ren, whatever you want to call him. The more I think about this, I'm kind of warming up to the idea of Kylo or Kylo <laughs> Adam Driver as Mr. Fantastic. Tony, you shared this article. What do you think, man? Are you in on this thing? I mean, can he do what everybody wanted? Krasinski, we got the fan service that can Adam Driver be Reed Richards? Huge fan of Adam Driver um, beyond Kylo Ren. Like his Saturday Night Live is excellent. He's got a bunch of other movies that are that are phenomenal as well. I think it's easier for me to accept him in the Reed Richards role than John Krasinski. I think that John Krasinski thing was and always has been just something to give the fans a little bit of what they wanted and, and, and shut them up for a while. Uh, I don't think Jim from the office can be Reed Richards. I do think Kylo Ren can be Reed Richards. I'm excited for it. Feel the these office. nipples even underneath my soft style tank top from ProWrestlingTees.com. They're poking through. Cheers. I can see Ray. Can you see him poking through? I see nipples poking ole, 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 ole. Ray, are, are you as excited as Tony is about Adam Driver being Mr. Fantastic? No. There you go. Um, Adam Driver is one Come of the best He's Mr. Fantastic, Column Book Bastic, Mr. Reed, mm, mm, Richards. Boom. Boom. Um, he uh, is one of the best actors we have on this earth. So I'm not, this has nothing to do with his talent. I just, the role doesn't make sense to me. Um, number one, and this has nothing to do with Krasinski, but number one, Reed is supposed to, while he's a, 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 the, the smartest man in the universe, he's also just like a regular motherfucker who's just smart, right? Adam Driver does not look like your regular motherfucker. He is he had he has a presence about him that is way bigger and stronger than a Reed Richards. I my main reason is I'm disappointed is because Adam Driver was built to play Victor Von Doom. He was built for that. And so to give him the other guy, the inverse of that, is quite frankly disappointing. Because you could have made a star 
playing Reed, playing off of Adam Driver. And the article says, well, he basically played him Kylo Ren. If you think Kylo Ren is essentially Doctor Doom, you're not reading the right comics. If all you see is angst, that's not Doom. And what Adam Driver could bring to that character is like, dare I say, Oscar-esque. So that's my disappointment. So what we're going to get is Adam Driver will be Mr. Fantastic and John Krasinski will be Dr. Doom. Why not? <laughs> Why? I mean, a multiversal flipper, you know, hey, switch I mean, it all around. John Krasinski, John Krasinski did play Goldface in uh, threat, no, threat Level Midnight. That's true. That was a thing you, I, that I, I just found out about today. I, the office. You know, my thing is, I, I see your, I see both your guys' points. I do think Adam Driver would have been a a solid Doctor Doom. Um, the more I look at him and his mannerisms, and and kind of, you know, it depends which Reed Richards we're getting, and at what stage of Reed Richards' career do we get the Reed Richards at the beginning who blames himself for everything that happened to his family and everybody getting exposed to the cosmic rays and what happened to them. Or do we get the Reed Richards later on down in the road? Who's just ultra confident in himself and his abilities as the smartest motherfucker in the universe. Now I think Adam driver lends himself a little bit better to the latter, not so much to the former. Would you agree with that Ray? Yes. Okay. Do we get him as the maker? (sighs) I don't know. It might be a little bit too soon for that. Don't you think? After going into Secret War, I can see going into Secret War. Yeah, I don't think you start there. You know, I I appreciate I appreciate the idea that they're saying that the Fantastic Four essentially have been around. This isn't a big origin, so that makes it better for me. Right, that makes Um, more sense. Yeah, to accept it a little better than a dude out of nowhere all of a sudden getting these powers. Um, Look, man, depends on what. uh, Show it to me. Let me see it. Right. Like and I, we know, I'm sure a lot of us had questions about a lot of the casts they Robert had. They Downey did. Jr. in 2008. Who? Right. What? We're going to this. That motherfucker's got a checkered pass. And Chris Hemsworth. Who is this? Yeah, Chris well, Evans. They, Johnny they, Johnny Bla- Johnny Storm is now Captain America. Captain well, America. They waited. They waited to find out what a large number of focus groups felt about you know Robert Downey's uh, casting. It, it, until they actually got insurance for him to make that movie. By the way, greatest contract ever ever signed, and and and, and only contract ever signed better was Bobby Benio. <laughs> Say I'll, wow. I'll take the three hundred k now, but I'm gonna get the fifty k in the back end, fifty mil in the back end. Bobby Benio. Bobby Benio reference on bandwagon nerds. Patrick is gonna throw his phone at the wall at that one. That's yeah. No. Oh, he might like that. So I don't know. Like, There's he a, Bob, a baseball a guy. He is a baseball. I think he's guy. gonna like the yeah. yeah what is it? You know, one million right. a year for twenty you're or twenty five right. years. He is a baseball guy, and he has mentioned Bobby Benio day. And all right, you know, I retract that. Let's get into the the last stuff I wanted to talk about. Um, the biggest band in the world apparently released an album last week, Metallica, 72 seasons. My personal opinion, I've listened to the album like 10 times. I think it's their best album since the black album. And I'll just flat out say that. Now I know that's not when you look at, okay, well, people are like, well, you're not saying much, Dave, you're talking load reload, the train wreck that was saying anger, uh, death magnetic hardwired, which I thought was a hell of an album, but this top from start to finish, I think it's their best album since the Black Album. These guys are damn near 60 years old. Uh, returned to number one in the UK for the first time in 15 years. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, I don't know what you guys think of Metallica. Have you listened to the new record? What are your thoughts? PC Tunney's looking at me like I just you know shit on him or something. 
What what are your thoughts on this uh, on this new Metallica record, Tony? I am a giant Metallica fan. All right, it is my man. Favorite three entities of music of all time. Uh, best concert I ever went to. They played for two and a half hours in the round. Uh, and Godsmack opened for them. I'm thinking about the I... show at SoFi, man, in August. Oh, you got to go. Actually, that's interesting. You said that. We'll have to talk after. Um, I, I I haven't listened to the new album. I haven't liked a lot of the new stuff. I loved Load and Reload, and I think Garage Inc. is a huge underrated album. Yes. Uh, Metallica S&M is after that as well, which is a new reincarnation of a lot of those songs that people love from the Black Album and before. I'm not going to argue with you that their best body of work isn't from Kill Em All all the way up through the Black Album, but just don't get mad because they injected this minuscule amount of grunge and 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 modern tempo into load and reload uh, it's still really good work it is it still sounds as great as like tell me the memory remains isn't one of the best songs you've ever heard right like two by four the house that jack built uh, king nothing like you're shitting on that come on give me a break i'm not shitting on it ain't my oh, bitch no, I, I, I love I, ain't my I, bitch you know just making oh I'm just, yeah i'm just excellent i'm just saying no no i get it. get it there's a different there's a different um school or tribe of metallica fans who are in different camps saint anger had a song or two fine since you said it's their best album since the black album I'm gonna have to go and listen to some of these songs it's just the iconicism of what you get from kill them all and master of puppets and ride the lightning and, and you know, uh, onward and, and, and so forth to me, it's just hard to live up to. And you're just always expecting more from a group of guys who are what knocking 60s? on sixties, if not sixties. Yeah. yeah. So I will listen to it and then we'll talk, I mean, man. I want Patrick. I need him to listen to it. I know he's listening yeah. to some of it. So, um, Ray, uh, Favorite bassist thought of everyone? Um, Burton. No, well, Burton or Newstead. I Burton got cut short too much, too quick. So. I think Trujillo gets a little shortchanged on some of the stuff that he walked yeah. into. His, um, I mean, uh, uh, mentally and emotionally, Newstead dealt with the most. Uh, Cliff Burton was amazing because that's the original sound, and he was fucking awesome. But right. I think all three guys are excellent. Are. And uh, who knows what if Lars would have just been a tennis player? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Lars, uh, Ray, are you a Metallica fan? I don't even know if you're a Metallica fan. Or I like not. I like Metallica. I wouldn't I wouldn't call myself a fan like where I can name every single song and album they've ever done, but I enjoy them. Um, one of my favorite things I've ever seen in a performance I've never seen them live, just watching video, is True Hill doing the crab walk. That shit is hilarious to me. It is the funniest thing in the world to me. Um, is this the album with the Lux Eternal thing they released yes. last year? Yeah. Okay. I haven't heard it yet. I heard Lux Eterna and single was cool. It wasn't great, but it was a nice little something to get you excited. Um, I'll check the album out. Um, I've never been disappointed with the Metallica album because they're not something I live and die by. You know what I'm saying? There's no So like I'll get the songs I'll get the songs I want to hear and I'm good with it. Uh but I'm not surprised they're still killing it because to get to the level of success they have, you know the blueprint. Right. So I'm not surprised. Rock is a genre, unlike a lot of these other genres, especially metal, is a genre that once you figure it out, it's gonna be pretty much the same forever. You know? Yeah. So once you once they get it, 
they pretty much know what they're doing. They know what they're doing as well as anybody. Another band that knows what they're doing as well as anybody. Surprising news that kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, the Foo Fighters are putting out a new album, I think in July. And they actually released the first song called Rescued, which is an emotional ride, given what these guys have been through um, after the tragic death of, of, of Tyler, Taylor Hawkins. Um, and um, I don't know, did you guys check out, Pat posted the video to, to Rescue. Did you guys get a chance to listen to the new Foo Fighters song? And what do you think of the new album coming out? It's crazy. I haven't got a chance to, I haven't had a chance to do much. Um, I'm going to have to take a little time after work Same. one of these days and uh, listen to both of these things. I think it, it's interesting because you talk about loss and you talk about controversy and you talk about adversity that happens in people's lives. But a lot of times just digging back into what one of your favorite hobbies or if your work is your passion, it kind of helps you get through. So it's not surprising that this happened and i think you can get a lot of enrichment in what you're trying to create because of those feelings and i think it helps both ways i uh, i love the fools the fools are one of my favorite bands so the way you guys feel about metallica i, I guess i would argue i feel about the fools um i hadn't heard yet but again like tony i've been so busy um as soon as i get off the call here i'm gonna listen to it um, it's a really good song. Obvious. Well, there's not much that the fools do that's not good to great. I think the main thing everybody's thinking is who's who's on the kit. They did um, not announce that. I think it's Grohl. That, I think it's Grohl actually. Recording in yeah, the booth. Recording. Yes, but I, when they start touring, right? They got to find somebody you know, to replace Taylor, and maybe his kid. I mean, he did well at that that thing. Well, they isn't, so they did. Uh, isn't uh, the the young Van Halen a drummer? No, he's a guitarist. Wolfgang? Wolfgang played oh, guitar. Wolfgang. Is he? Oh, I thought he was a drummer. Oh, that would have been interesting. Bassist, though. I think. Wolfgang played bass, didn't he? He replaced no, he Michael guitar, Anthony. But he but at the at the Taylor Hawkins tribute, he played guitar. Okay. But I mean, he's a Van Halen, right? I, they can do play it anything all. with strength. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if he came out here on the violin, I wouldn't be surprised. Yes. Um Shane would be a good thing, but I don't think he's Another person, Namdi Bushnell, the little girl that Dave goes back and forth with. But they're such an older, grizzled band that to put someone that young with them, I don't know, would match in a touring, in a touring perspective. Um, but man, look, Dave Grohl, and to a, not to a lesser extent, he was there the whole time, and Pat Smear have endured two of the most heartbreaking musical losses ever. Um, and the fact that they still keep going and the fact that Dave Grohl is an all time hall of fame, good dude. It's just amazing. And so, and no matter what they do, anything they do, I'm gonna support them. Um, but I am curious to see who's on the kit. Yeah. I mean, we made the comment when Taylor died last year, I think, I know we had the episode, Pat had posted the question, whether we thought Foo Fighters would go on and we're like, you know, it's, it's tough because, you know, you lose your drummer and you lose somebody as integral to the band as Taylor Hawkins. And, and, and how are they going to go on? And it's cool that with the answer to that is like, yes, they are going to go on. It's going to be 10 songs, but here we are due out on June 2nd. Wow. That's earlier than I thought. That's not far off at all. We got the first song. I'm excited, you know, to see that the Foo Fighters are still, still going strong and that they have survived at least apparently this terrible loss. 
knowing knowing Dave like we do, I do not doubt that a few days, not a week after Taylor passed, he was in the, he was in the booth already making new music. Because that's how he processes his yeah. stuff. It helps helped him helped him with the grieving process, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So good stuff, guys. The last thing I wanted to talk about, and then we're going to get out of here because we were running up on our time limit. Um, Ray, have you seen The Last of Us? Yes, I watched the entire season. Yes, okay, sir. and and so you know what I'm about to talk about, Tony. I know he hasn't seen it, but I just started. You guys have been imploring me to watch it. I watched the first episode. Absolutely loved it. The opening scene of The Last of Us with the scientists and the epidemiologists talking about the genesis of this thing. Cause this is not your typical, this is not really a zombie show it, it, and it's not about a bacteria or it's about a virus. It's about a fungus. The opening minutes of this show where they explain this thing is some of the most thought provoking stuff I've ever, like one of the most powerful opening scenes of a series. I think it's the most powerful opening scene of a series I've ever seen. And especially I love the part, part, the part where they're talking and Everything in the mood in the room changes, Ray, completely when he says, what if the world were to get slightly warmer? And you think about what we're dealing with in the world now, and you start, your mm-hmm. mind starts going to weird places thinking, could that actually happen? I mean, and I've read enough about cordyceps since I watched that and studied up on, mm-hmm. uh, on it a little bit to realize highly, highly, highly unlikely, not impossible, highly unlikely you would get something like this, but it's terrifying to think about. And I, as somebody who's watched the entire show, and I know you think the series is really good, right, Ray? I think it's amazing. Okay. It's, I can't wait for season two. Yeah. Let me ask you guys, what's the most impactful opening scene to a series that you guys can recall? This is like harkening back to the old days with Patrick O'Dowd at a question, you know? I, I, oh, yeah. How about, it's funny, it's something that we anticipate picking up again right here on this very show. And it's, you know, our, our friends Homelander and, and, and the others, uh, that opening scene in The Boys, not not necessarily like the opening scene, but it's like the opening sequence oh, with the where, the, where the girlfriend gets run over. Like, that's right the fuck up there, that guys. Is, yeah, that that's is. up there. Yeah. That's, that's definitely that's a there. good call, Tony. Ray, you got anything like like what we're talking? I, do you first? I, do you agree with me as somebody seen The Last of Us that that is a tremendously impactful opening scene? Or, that, or for Patrick, um, just for just for Patrick, uh, Dances with Wolves, where Kevin Costner rides the horse out through the yeah, middle of the field. That is where, that now, is you know to shit on a cinematic masterpiece, you son of a biscuit. K <laughs> riveting, riveting stuff, man. Ray, your first, your thoughts about that opening scene, and then what else do you got? The reason the opening scene was so was so impactful was because, as you've noted, everything about it was scientifically factual. It's horrifying, and it's real, and it could happen. And then when you watch this episode and you notice the reason they make it, they they never touch any of the wheat, they never touch any of the flour, it, it, and and you but you don't see it in the moment. It, yes, it's 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 so good and it's so real and it sets the entire it gives you the entire backstory of the show in five minutes. But one that comes to my mind is and it's slightly political, but is the newsroom with with uh, um, uh, his name is what Dan's on the show. What's my boy name? Um, what McAvoy? Um, what's his name? Uh but the the newsroom is you know that's the Aaron Sorkin show. Uh, 
I'm trying, to remember, I'm trying to remember this. The show's called The Newsroom, Ray? Yeah, Jeff Daniels. Okay. So, yes, um, it was on HBO. And um, Will De- uh, Jeff Daniels is Will McAvoy, who is like uh, the, the main anchor for like a cable news company. And he's on a panel with two other people. And they're talking, they're basically just discussing regular political shit. And finally, the dude asks, has to ask the people in the crowd to have any questions and there's a college girl who asks all of them to say in two words or less why America is the greatest country in the world and one person is like uh, opportunity and something the other dude is like freedom and freedom and uh, Will uh, Jeff Daniels is like you heard both of them because he clearly don't, wanna, don't give a fuck one to be there and finally he just goes off on her with one of the greatest rants you'll ever fucking hear Basically saying we're not the greatest country in the world anymore. He was like, 160 something countries have freedom. We're not the only fucking. It's it's so powerful. And then he flips it back with what we used to be. And it's it's just one of those that when you hear it, it's just it it catches you and it set the scene for it set the the ideology for that entire fucking three season run. And that's one of my favorite shows I've ever watched. So that's it for me personally. If you've never seen it before. Go catch that little five-minute clip. It is it is worth it, I promise. I'm going to have to check that out. Guys, I think we can put a bow on episode 180. We've covered a lot of ground here today. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Before I let you fellas go, where can people check you out on social media, on the interwebs, that sort of thing? I'm going to turn it over to the Reverend Ray Cash first, man. So good to have you on the show for the past two weeks. I know you're going to get booed vociferously. If you come back next week and Patrick's here, but you probably deserve it. So where can people check you out on Twitter, man? I don't, I don't know if you should check me on Twitter anymore because I'm not a blue check mark. Blue. Are you playing? I didn't pay my eight dollars. I didn't pay my eight dollars. I don't know if you should get <laughs> or, you have, or a million followers. No, well, I damn sure don't have that. Yeah. Um, uh, it's right. It's Ray Cash. R-E-Y is Mysterio. C-A-S-H as in dollars. PC Tunney. Mr. Chair Shot. Mr. Nipples, where can people? <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Nipples, that's a new one. I like that one. Mr. You, you know the you know I'm the Felix the, the Felix the cat clock. You might have to Nipples. You might Mr. have to change Nipples. your handle on Twitter to Mr. Nipples, man. Where can people check you out, Mr. Nipples? That's funny. Um, I'll just say Chairshot Radio Network, all your favorite streaming platforms, thechairshot.com. Always use your head. Sports entertainment and sports entertainment. Follow this show at Bandwagon Nerds. And our fearless leader returns next week. I can't wait. I can't wait for him to listen to this episode in particular. Um, but I, we've had a good time without him, but we can't wait for him to come back because uh, he's a big part of what we do. You can follow him at Wrestling Realist. That's W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T because there's no I in wrestling, but there's an I in Realist and there's an I in Patrick and there's an I in Friend. Before we go, uh, got some breaking news for you if you're interested. Okay. Oh boy, Uh-oh. Jonathan Majors is now going to no. start Batman no. in DC. He's been traded awesome. in the is a trade. NBC Universal CEO Jeff Shell was just ousted after an inappropriate relationship with a woman in the company. <sighs> guys, higher up, making way too much money. Yeah, guys, or asserts it to provide dominance over a woman yeah. uh, inappropriately. Shock. Yet shame. 
on him. Keep it in your pants is the moral of the story, guys. But anyway, you can check me on out on Twitter at Attitude Ag. That is at Attitude A-G-G. Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. And as always, if anything we've said has truly offended you, send your hate Fuck. tweets to at It's Me DPP. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Guys, thank you so much. Yes, next week, Patrick comes back. I'm sure, man, three weeks he hasn't been here. We're going to have about 30 minutes of grievances, probably. Longer. Over, under. Longer. Over, under. Longer. Okay. Take the first hour off, I think. <laughs> I know. I'll show, we're all going to show up at the last hour. Pat, do your monologue. We'll see you in 60 minutes, buddy. It'll be a good time. Anyway, you've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds, episode 180, right here on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com. Now, look. Get yourselves out of the basement. Get some sun. Check out all the Star Wars goodness. Mandalorian is done for now. We'll be talking to you next week. Who knows? Who's going to die in Guardians of the Galaxy Episode 3? That's going to be the big question next week. You've been listening winter's to... Com- what? Winter's coming. Yeah, winter's coming. Exactly. Not for a long time. Sting? Right? It's Sting? Sting? Not Sting. Different winter. Anyway. Oh. Pat, Pat's like, shut up already and close the episode. You're right, Pat. We're out of here. We'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. And that's your biggest worry? Yes, any kind of virus, but most probably something similar to influenza. Because of air travel? Through the air. Coughing. Uh, I'm sorry, I meant people on planes. Uh, That was something you described in your book. Yes, a new virus in Madagascar, say, could be in Chicago within a matter of weeks. And we end up with a global pandemic. Pan meaning all, the whole world becomes sick all at once. Hmm. And uh, Dr. Newman, you're also an epidemiologist. I presume the prospect of a viral pandemic keeps you up at night as well. No. No? No. All right, well, that's our show. (laughs) (laughs) No, mankind has been at war with the virus from the start. Sometimes millions of people die as in an actual war, but in the end, we always win. Uh, But uh, just to be clear, you you do think microorganisms pose a threat? Oh, in the most dire terms. Bacteria? No. You like saying no? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Not bacteria, not viruses, so... Fungus. Yes, that's the usual response. Fungi seem harmless enough. Many species know otherwise, because there are some fungi who seek not to kill, but to control. Let me ask you, where do we get LSD from? Where do you get it from? (laughs) It comes from ergot, a fungus. Psilocybin, also a fungus. Viruses can make us ill, but fungi can alter our very minds. There's a fungus that infects insects, gets inside an ant, for example, travels through its circulatory system to the ant's brain and then floods it with hallucinogens, thus bending the ant's mind to its will. Fungus starts to direct the ant's behavior, telling it where to go, what to do, like a puppeteer with a marionette. 
And it gets worse. The fungus needs food to live, so it begins to devour its host from within, replacing the ant's flesh with its own. But it doesn't let its victim die, no. It, it keeps its puppet alive by preventing decomposition. How? Where do we get penicillin from? Fungus. <laughs> oh. Dr. Schoenheis, you're in distress. Fungal infection of this kind is real, but not in humans. True, fungi cannot survive if its host's internal temperature is over 94 degrees. And currently, there are no reasons for fungi to evolve to be able to withstand higher temperatures. But what if that were to change? What if, for instance, the world were to get slightly warmer? Well, now, there is reason to evolve. One gene mutates, and an ascomycetia, candida, ergot, cordyceps, aspergillus, any one of them could become capable of burrowing into our brains and taking control, not of millions of us, but billions of us. Billions of puppets with poisoned minds, permanently fixed on one unifying goal, to spread the infection to every last human alive by any means necessary. And there are no treatments for this, no preventatives, no cures. They don't exist. It's not even possible to make them. So if that happens, we lose. <clears throat> we'll be back. 